says, get that India, big boy. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of The Tip Sheet, uh, the 16th episode actually in the 2021 season. I'm your host, as always, uh, 4020, also known as John. Joining me, as always, is my good mate, 60s. We have a lot to talk about, mate. Oh, mate, it's it seems like there's never any shortage of eels we, news to talk we, about, but this just feels like a big episode coming up. We bloody broke the podcast up into two segments so we can, you know, have more better or improve time management. And I swear, you know, things just keep blowing up. We got more mailbag than ever for Joey. Have a great chat with him today. Uh, we got plenty of um, actions in the weekend to review because it was an awesome triple header across uh, Blacktown and went with Ville for the Eels across Harold Matthews, Jersey Flag, and uh, I was about to say SG Ball, but New South Wales Cup. And then on top of that, there's a whole uh, weekend of action to preview. So let's get right into it, mate. Yeah, I think that's a good idea, mate. Over to you. Well, 60s, he is a man in demand this week. We had to reschedule and, and work around his uh, ever ever sort of chockers uh, scheduling process. But we are hugely appreciative to have Joey Grimer back once again to answer our questions. Joey, mate. If, uh, can I just say, uh, from this point on, maybe just known as Nostradamus. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that because Joey, one of the most prescient uh, people to watch football with, Gave us a, a real uh, special deal on the weekend in, in a jersey flag. Uh, jersey flag, that's right. Um, but we'll get to that later on. Joey, mate, always a pleasure to have you on and very thankful that you could fit us in. I, I joke about it, but you are a very busy man and the tip sheet is hugely appreciative to have you on, mate. Oh, not at all, guys. Uh, it's reciprocated. You guys do so much um, for awareness, of, for the awareness of our junior pathways and in particular, uh, a great week with our Harold Matthews. But it's such an honour. I feel like it's such an honour with you, 40s uh, and you, 60s. So, um, yeah, great to be here, Jono. Thanks for the invite, buddy. And you mentioned the uh, the weekend, and it started off in absolutely terrific fashion with probably one of the most high-quality finals matches in the Harold Matthews and perhaps the, the overall junior reps that I've seen in a long time. It was a, a genuinely, genuinely outstanding team performance against the Penrith Panthers outfit that were fired up. What pleased you most about the 14-6 to victory? Yeah, it's a really good um, uh, question. Um, it's it's the first time in a long time, Jono, where Team One and Team Two, uh, or sorry, Team Team One and Team Two are now in the grand final for the Harold Matthews Cup program. So, given that we finished second, Penrith finished in the top four, it was always going to be a, um, a high quality match. And adding fuel to the fire, it's a tradition that Parramatta played Penrith somewhere in the finals. Usually it's in the big dance, but this week it was a week earlier. So um, it was always going to be an aggressive um, style type of match. Um, A lot of the players that played for their respective teams actually play a lot of school football together, Mm -hmm. um, whether it be at, uh, you know, Blacktown Patrician Brothers or otherwise. So uh, there, there was always going to be that added zest um, for, uh, you know, putting a little bit more effort into that game. But getting back to your question, Jono, the, the, the thing that pleased me uh, the most was um, uh, the ability for our young side or our Harry Matthews side to come back after losing the momentum just before half time. We didn't have the, uh, 
the, the best completion rate in the first half. Um, in saying that, but two of those incompletion, incompleted sets were tries gone begging or missed opportunities. But the pleasing thing was that when we came out after halftime, then, um, we actually uh, upped the ante and kicked away from Penrith and they couldn't um, stay with us. Uh, we seemed to go from first gear to second gear and raise the momentum. Um, and, you know, when when uh, Yahi scored that try, I just knew, um, you know, they weren't going to come back and get us. And a, a so, poignant moment for me was... The game was decided with, uh, you know, a minute and a half to go because it was a two-score lead and barring, you know, foul play in the act of scoring, there was no way Penrith could equalise the scoreboard. But the the Panthers were camped on Parramatta's line, got multiple six-agains on the basis of, you know, batted balls and uh, ruck contestants and whatnot. But the Eels refused to crack um, and they held him out in the second half, shut him out. And, yeah, it was just a, a fantastic goal line stand and probably indicative of the sort of character that this team has held throughout the course of the uh, well, where are we at now? It's almost uh, three three months, I suppose. We're into the uh, yeah, uh, n- n- November November sixth, uh, Jono. And again, it, on your point there, um, we we raised the ante and we defended nineteen tackles on our line in a row, um, and that just shows the 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 character of the side. We don't want to get too ahead of ourselves because we've got got one more game to go, but just the, the ability that um, when they had to, um, they had to lift and, and, and as I said, um, uh, raise the ante. And before I, I let Sixties ask his question about that grand final prep, um, I do want to issue another thank you to yourself and the, the team itself. Uh, we got a very cool little insight into the post-game celebration in the uh, dressing room, which we got to share on Instagram and in our, in our actual game blog itself. Um, so you got to see the boys celebrate a fantastic win. And if you haven't seen it yet, you can catch it, like I said, on Instagram or in my game blog where you get to see the boys singing the team song and having a good time. Oh, it's, it's our pleasure. It's my pleasure. It's the team's pleasure. And um, a lot of those young men do follow the Cumberland throw and are pretty familiar with you and 60s or you guys. Um, not Not for what only you do for our junior programs, but you're there at training, you're there at the games. So that friendship and familiarity um, is very pleasing, and the boys really respect that. Uh, thanks, mate. It's um, it, it, look, it's an exciting time any week coming up to a grand final, and now looking ahead, does the uh, prep this week differ from a regular season preparation? Yes, sixties. Ideally, um, Steve. Uh, normally, uh, the the team would like to keep you there. Uh, regular format. Um, Steve doesn't want to change too much. Um, that has worked for us in the past. Uh, the program is going to have the same things that have been effective for us the last two or three weeks. Uh, the timings, um, we're not going to train more or less. Um, so we would like to keep it as um, normal as possible. However, uh, we are going to have a special uh, opportunity uh, or something a little bit different this week. But I'm sorry, Jono. I'm sorry, Sixties. <laughs> I can't give you an exclusive because some of the boys in the Harold Matthews and their or their parents listen to this wonderful podcast. So I'm going to have to tell you what that surprise is next week so I don't spoil it for oh, the boys. Well. But... But the, the the short answer, um, 60s, is that 
uh, normally the coach would keep it as uh, normal as possible. Uh, and, and what's worked for us in the past will continue to work on, mate. Given what you do for us every week, we'll wear that one on the chin. That's fine. It'll, it'll have to wait to, <laughs> to next week. Uh, but looking at this game from my perspective, there is some beautiful symmetry to it. Uh, these two teams met in round one where the Manly Seagulls prevailed 22 to 14 in a game where the Eels really controlled most of the flow of the contest for about, I'd say, 80% up until the 40, 49th minute. Given what we know about Manly from that game and Manly in general, because they are another rival, much like the Penrith Panthers, what do we expect from them on Saturday and how are we going to beat them? Traditionally, what Manly have done over the past two or three years is try to unsettle us through aggression and some little argy-bargy. So we need to be a, a lot smarter and a lot more disciplined than what we were um, 10 weeks ago when we played them in round one. Uh, we're going to have to um, just wear what they dish out and just uh, um, continue to get to the next play. Just worry about what our next job is. And that's the message from Steve and the staff this week um, uh, leading into the game after Monday's training session. Uh, he was talking about our discipline and our level of um, you know, relaxing if things aren't going as well. Or if we seem to start getting uh, a little bit rattled, we just need to calm ourselves as a group. So just just looking ahead now to um, uh, some of the other matches that we can look forward to this week and staying with pathways, we've got a number of the SG ball players that are now finding themselves in the Jersey flag team, as you spoke about a couple of weeks ago. And um, they had a, a great win over South last week, the Jersey flag. Uh, did those players, uh, did they meet your expectations or would you say they exceeded them? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I knew 60s by promoting these young men from SG Ball into our Jersey flag team. We may have lost a little bit of experience and uh, not going with someone um, of the right age. However, that was going to be offset by the level of energy and enthusiasm. So we always thought we were going to get, um, you know, um, some energy bursts and a, a point of difference of excitement. Uh, but certainly some of these boys um, stood up and exceeded um, of where I thought they would be given their first week in a competition where they're giving two years away from their correct age. Whilst we understand how important they are in our development program, there are a, a couple of boys that played on the weekend which just demonstrated that, um, you know, what we're doing in our pathways and the players that we've identified are certainly capable of going to that next level. And the challenge for these young men, 60s, um, is the ability to repeat what they did um, over and over and over again. And uh, speaking of those young kids, I was particularly impressed with Peter Tatia on the left edge. Um, obviously the captain of the SG ball, very talented prospect. Um, but up against a big South Sydney pack, he really held his ground and, and was very difficult to tackle. And again, the, the level of detail our coaches, uh, their programs um, have coming through these uh, junior reps, be it Mats and Ball and Tasha Gale, 
is that Peter is traditionally a middle middle player. Correct. Playing to lock put forward. him on an yeah, to put him on an edge and to do a competent job, as you know, he set up a couple of tries and and busted through. Just um, um, just confirms that um, you know he, he has got an ability in a number of positions and this is where we need to ensure that we trial people in different positions because when they do or if they're lucky to get to Brad and in that NRL program they haven't got time to spend um, um, you know trialing this person and that person in a position or considering uh, otherwise so it just goes to show that uh, these young men and women that we have uh, are able to adapt not only to playing a more senior um, group of men, but are able to adapt to play in a variety of positions. But he, he's been excellent for us, and you guys are real diligent in, in following rugby league. Um, Peter's best game and, and worst game are incredibly close because he just mm-hmm. um, understands what he needs to do or his role for the club or that team, whether it's in the middle or on the edge, coming off the bench or whatever the case may be, which was similar to a lot of those young men that played on the weekend, their first game in Jersey flag. And I think with, uh, with Peter, the beauty about his game is that uh, you talked about that minimal difference. I think it's because his energy levels are always so high. His effort areas are always so high. And, uh, and when he has a game that's not quite at his best, it's normally just something simple, like he's tried too hard and dropped the ball. And, and a, a little bit like that uh, with uh, Jonte as well. Um, their over-eagerness um, or their level of excitement or may just be the difference of pushing that pass that probably they shouldn't have pushed. Um, it's certainly not through a lack of effort um, is probably what you're saying, and you couldn't be um, more true. Yeah, and the other thing I suppose with uh, Pete is that he brings a lot of juice in defense. So you always love a flashy ball carrier, but a guy that can make an impact defensively is uh, that much uh, nicer as a prospect, I suppose. But uh, yeah, hundred percent, guys. And I reckon you'd be great recruitment officers. You, know, <laughs> you watch that much football, you know exactly what the Parramatta Eels criteria for players are. Uh, sometimes it's pretty easy. You can see a kid that's like, yeah, he's he's pretty good. But it's the ones that you yeah, manage to bring in and develop that are the real gems. So. Uh, the Eels yeah. obviously done very well in that regard in recent times and continue to do so in, in not just uh, development, but also uh, in our recruitment, as you saw, for Zaya Papali'i and the likes this year. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, John. And I think, as I said to 60s before, the challenge for these young men, um, and similar to the challenge for uh, the same age men um, that are 18 uh, playing in the knock-on effect cup, you know, the Will Penasini's, the, the Jacob Arthur's, the Sean Russell's, um, the, the challenge for them is to maintain their level of consistency week in and week out. Uh, that's when you start to recognise that um, these players are capable of playing uh, good games for good uh, long long periods of the season. Now, they're not going to have blinders. They're not going to have eight out of tens every week. They are going to have poor games. But the less four games you can have in a season with the more consistency just pushes up that player to that next level and hopefully accomplishing them as an NRL player. Yep. And mate, just, uh, we'll give you a little exclusive. There's not too many people listening at the moment, so we can probably say it. You talked about us with recruitment. Well, uh, Forty and I are looking at uh, starting our own 
agency. Um, we'll probably call it something like by the numbers. I was about to say by the numbers. Numbers. Oh, I tell you what, if you're listening oh. out there and you want to jump on and make some money, put some sponsorship dollars that's, into these two. That's how you know you've been hanging out with your mate too long is when you talk about an imaginary <laughs> recruitment agency and you both have the same agency name without even talking about it. Oh my, oh my gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> Stop it. All right. Well, well, that, that's probably a great point to wrap up the junior talk. Let's head into the mailbag this week. Um, ask Joey in full flight. And we're going to start with a question from, oops, sorry, going to ask if a question from Joey. Uh, sorry, question for Joey from Scott. Got there eventually. Um, who wants to talk, uh, know about captain's runs and how they differ from the other sessions during a week? Yeah, that's a real good question, and probably the, the obvious answer is the um, um, the lack of uh, running or intensity. This is your final day. This is your final session after all the video work you've done, all the uh, offensive and defensive opposed activities that you've done. Um, this usually goes for. A uh, minimum of 15 minutes, maximum of 20 minutes. You would run three or four generic sets or plays. And it would just to make sure that everyone's on song and familiar with what are the main achievements or the main goals for the next day. So, one, it just confirms all the work, the video, um, the, the rugby league activities you've done uh, through the week. Um, this is your last chance to practice it and to familiarise yourself and to ensure that you understand what you need to do the very next day. Obviously, um, with your captain's run, um, and in particular to Scott, you would do this the day before your um, game of participation. Not What normally happens too, uh, Scott, is when you uh, finish your um, your captain's run or your game day prep, depending on what different clubs call them. Usually you'd go away and you would work with someone else. You would have your own system or what your own habits. You might do uh, five or six, um, you know, solid tackles against pads. You might do some kicking, uh, goal kicking. Mitch Moses does goal kicking. You might do some general play kicking, but that's what uh, you would walk away and uh, do five, six minutes of individual extras that you need to um, get right and just mentally be on top of before the game day. After that, it's a pretty relaxed uh, lunch um, or you get fueled up and onwards ready for the game. So it's a really low impact, a lot of energy. A lot of our boys like to play a bit of music during their warm-up session and it just gets them into a excited but focused manner. And you guys come down to our training sessions. If you didn't know you were at Kellyville Park, you would have thought you were at a rave party or a nightclub <laughs> or something with the music going on in the background. But the players certainly like it. Um, it, 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 it. It creates a little bit of a harmonious environment. Um, but, yeah, uh, when that music gets turned off, then it's serious for 15, 20 minutes. Mate, I was I was putting big question marks over the use of the term music for some of the uh, <laughs> the selections that are made there. But um, just moving on, next question from Wolpe is actually related to the same topic. He said, 
I've seen a number of captains run over the years. Would it be more advantageous to have another physical session uh, or more physical session instead of a captain's run? Um, just so I can understand, Wolfie, is he saying um, another, the physical session would replace the captain's run? Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's, uh, okay. And he's, uh, he had a conversation with me about this because I wanted it explained a bit. He he said that he looks at it and he thinks, is it is it worth dedicating a session to such a light run? Would it be um, would it be better to have um, more training and uh, more intense uh, session there instead of something light? Yeah, Wolfie, really good question. And I'll go. I'll give you an answer from a uh, high performance background, and I'll give you a, a response from a medical background. Each week, depending on um, the previous game, the intensity of it when it was played, and the turnaround time, the high performance staff come up with um, uh, a measure of the intensity and the loading or the running meters uh, of a particular person. In, in, in view of getting them ready for the game. So they would normally achieve 85, 90% of that before the captain's run. So without going over that number um, or around that number, we need to be careful because we don't want to take the juice out of those players, but there's a fine balance. We want to keep them um, in that, in that um, a threshold that we don't go over, but we don't um, stay under from a considerable distance. So it's really, really important. So from that perspective, most of the work would have already been done. So that's why from a high performance perspective, it's a little bit less intense and low on running. Also from a medical perspective, um, Wolfie, if, it's, if you're having a training session the day before the game and the intensity level is greater, um, the running um, or the contact is greater, then you're more susceptible in obtaining a soft tissue injury. might be a cork, it might be a rolled ankle. So you want to mitigate or take that out of the equation, particularly before game day. So they're the two areas as to why you wouldn't raise the intensity of that training session. Um, however, in future, in you know five or ten years down down the track, there may be other philosophies about how we should do game day prep, and perhaps you know there are other advantages. But traditionally, in the last you know 15, 20 years, the, the we, we take the zap out of the um, um, captain's run or the game day prep. And to give you an idea, um, Melbourne Storm practice six sets. They just practice six. They might do three tap sets, two scrum sets, and a kickoff set. So uh, about six to ten minutes would be their captain's run. Similar to the Roosters, they have a captain's run of eight minutes. So it's, it's a way of fine-tuning and just putting in the memory bank uh, what we learnt this week and to get out with, uh, in 24 hours when you play. Thanks for that one, mate. And uh, the next one for the mailbag comes from Steve. And this is one I really like because it touches on some higher level uh, game theory and opportunity costs. And he goes, uh, over the years, there's been some clubs that opt for short kicks on restarts to contest possession. It seems that the chances of getting possession are reasonable, but most teams still opt for long kicks or long restarts. 
unless they're chasing quick late points. Why is this something that we don't see too often? Well, if you Des Hasler, you see it quite often. Does he love when he was yep. at the, He loves all that kind of stuff. And if you listen to Andrew John's commentate, um, he always says when there's a short kickoff, he always says, I don't know why teams don't do this more often because the hardest place to defend is 10 metres out off your try line or defending uh, 10 metres off your opposition's try line. So I guess from that, you know, he's the... He's the uh, uh, one of the immortals. The so eighth, no one yeah. has a yeah. He's the eighth. So there's no one better to describe that. The reason that um, they uh, defend or do that short kick one, they've got an opportunity to cap the ball back or or get the ball back, and two, instead of kicking it 40, 50 meters down the track and someone charging on the ball in in, a, in the um, uh, in the view of getting a quick play of the ball, you do a high kick you can guarantee that that person is not going to build no, and any momentum and you're going to dominate tackle number one. So you're going to have good numbers around the ball. Uh, you're defending uh, within 10 metres of your try line. So the momentum is with the defensive team. Highly likely that the next carry or the next play is close to the ruck, which means that if you've won play two, it's highly likely you'll win play three. So I would see it as a way of um, a team uh, not having momentum with the ball, but defensively, from a defensive point of view, um, you having the ascendancy in tackle one and tackle two. The only adverse thing to this is that if the ball is spun coast to coast, so sideline to sideline, you you know you have to move your defence, and that's where you get tired. And if someone comes out of their system, you score a try, but secretly. That's what the defensive side wants you to do because you're more susceptible of making an error or a mistake by shifting uh, without earning the right. So that would be the fundamentals of why people do do short kickoffs. Um, I guess the reason why a lot of people people don't do short kickoffs is they want to minimise the 50-50s where you could knock the ball on, you may not get the ball back um, and so forth. Uh, Sometimes the ball doesn't go 10 metres. Sometimes it goes out on the full. So that would constitute a penalty from in front of the post. So that would be another reason. Um, So I think, you know, it's like I have, my father is an expert, uh, expert, not an expert. He's an expert (laughs) of rugby league. He says to me in his Maltese accent, Joe, why don't you chip the ball on the first play? When the defence comes up, do never you? You'll kick out. You'll never. I tell you what, it'll work once. But if it doesn't work, <laughs> can you imagine the head coach? So, <laughs> I guess it's a question of you know you know what you're going to get with the other uh, with the long dropout <laughs> kick. So um, I'm sorry if I had to, if if it sounded like SBS there for a minute, waiting for the subtitles <laughs> to come up. But I think that's the good analogy. Yeah, of, it comes um, back to uh, opportunity cost. So exactly, mate. Exactly. The Walker brothers loved that when mm-hmm. they were coaching. Short kickoffs their, and short restarts. Their team. Yeah, again, again, sixties. Um, it was new. It was fresh. Um, how are they going now? I don't think they won a game up yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, now uh, we actually switched to a, a bit of a personal question uh, for the uh, last one today, mate. Um, Mark has asked, 
what led you down the path of coaching and was there any advice or wisdom that you heard when you were younger that stayed with you? Uh, it's a really, uh, really nice question. Um, they said, I guess I'll answer the first one first and uh, I don't want to get too emotional, but I probably never fulfilled myself, my potential as a rugby league player. Um, I played Harold Matthews, SG Ball, Jersey Flag, lower grades for Parramatta. And I sustained, um, I had to have a knee, uh, sustained a knee injury, had to um, have a knee reconstruction, which back 20 years ago, it was yeah, a, in a it time was a, where medical science isn't as forgiving, isn't it? Oh, exactly. It was a big deal, um, you know, back then having 12 months off and mm-hmm. having to re- recover. Um, I didn't lose the, the love of the game, but when I was off, I gained a love for coaching because I saw rugby league in a different light. I was always a clever player. I was always a dummy half or halfback. Um, so I was always a clever and insightful and cheeky player. Um, and I'd started to learn a lot about rugby league when I wasn't playing. Then I decided um, to go back and um, participate in rugby league again. And I just lost that edge that I once had. And I thought, it's not fair. Um, I'm not doing myself any favours. So I got into um, coaching at Parramatta at a lower level. And I really found the love of the game, the intricate part. And I started to come up with ideas to reinvent things. And again, I took my football awareness off the field and I could bring it to on the field. So um, I had some um, immediate success, which made my excitement grow and continued my love for coaching. And I'm so glad I did what I did, man, because uh, what, what this wonderful game has given to me as a coach, having worked in Australia, having coached my country, uh, my state, uh, having lived in Europe, in England with my wife and kids has been uh, an opportunity which a lot of people don't get. So it, it, the irony part, uh, the ironic part, uh, man, is that I got into coaching because I got an injury in playing. And my love for the game has always grown and the understanding of rugby league. You know what they say, if I only knew then what I know mm-hmm. now, if I only knew then as a player what I know, know as a coach, goodness me, who knows what would have happened. But that's how I got into coaching. Would you say that's influenced you as a coach and, and as like an executive, I suppose executive, as a um, you know a director in a junior program, uh, knowing what you know now and trying to impart that onto young kids, has that become part of your mission statement, I suppose? Yeah. I, I think more so parting my knowledge with the coaches that deliver the program to our kids is probably um, where my focus is on now. I would never ask a coach to coach like Joe Grimer or coach like uh, someone else, but they have to coach things that um, Brad Arthur sees that are non-negotiables with players going to first grade. So my job as coaching director is to uh, assist in the program writing, but to mentor the coaches to ensure that we've got a, um, um, you know, we're all going in the same direction. A we've continuity. Got, 
continuity. Um, that's my role. So if I can part on my knowledge and having worked with Brad Arthur uh, as his assistant coach and, you know, within the Parramatta and NRL framework, I see my job is to educate the coaches so they can uh, rightfully um, execute their programs in a way that's consistent to Brad's framework. No, good answer, mate. And that's the so, end of – oh, sorry, you going to say? No, I've got another one now. You said um, about my philosophies oh, or sorry. someone giving me any any advice. That's that's actually – it was a two-parter. I missed that part, sorry. And the answer for this one is quite an easy one. And I, my memory is as short as I am, so <laughs> it's funny that I do remember this. I was very lucky to work with uh, Ricky Stewart when he was – at the Cronulla Sharks. I left Parramatta in 2008 and uh, went across to be his assistant coach. And he said to me, uh, my um, uh, one of the early training sessions, he said to us in a coaching, uh, and I, 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 a coaching meeting, I said to him, I said, what advice can you give me? And he said to me, Joey, a player who lives his life messy, off the field, will play Messi on the field. The player or the person um, that is um, um, clean and tidy and delightful off the field, he will be the same on the field. So basically what he was saying is that the way you live your life off the field transpires to how you play on the field. And that is stuck in my head and I've repeated said that to players and coaches alike um, in my last you know 15 16 years as coaching and it couldn't be couldn't be any more true couldn't couldn't be more factual than that because if you take shortcuts in life you're going to take shortcuts on the field and the people that get in trouble off the field are the ones that get found out on the field mm-hmm. so I'm indebted to that, to Ricky Stewart for giving me an opportunity to, to, to start my coaching career, but that was the best piece of advice that, that I ever received. No, it's good life advice in any profession, and it definitely rings true to the NRL yeah. where you see so many prodigiously talented prospects burn out because they haven't got themselves in order off the field. So definitely something uh, that Jono, rings true. Jono, how many times have we seen someone um, in the last 15 years thinking, oh, my gosh, gosh, look at that young man or young lady, he's got everything. We're going to see another 100 kids, players, boys, girls, men, women, miss out um, because of exactly that. They live their life, the way they live off the field happens or transpires to what they do on the field. And the people that are, are good at, at a young age, they won't, they won't make it if they have a, a, a crappy life away from, you know, the footy field. Mm-hmm. I always reckon that one of the best um, examples of that from our from our own team's perspective is Reed Marnie, because mm. I watch him out on the field, and he's quite often the last player that's on, that's walking off the field at training. So he just he just keeps putting in that extra effort, and then when you look at him off field and his his involvement with uh, giant steps and with um, what ability. And just the way he gives back to the community. And I think to myself, you know, this is a bloke, he doesn't take shortcuts. 
he his his aim is giving back. Um, so uh, yeah, I think he's a great example of that philosophy. And it, it's no wonder, sixties, that uh, Reed is having the year he's having, and he's been doing that for three and four seasons. First one there, last one to leave. So he's actually being rewarded for the level of detail in those extras going over and above what any other person would do to achieve what he's doing on the footy field now. But there's more to that, and a lot of people don't see what we see with off the field. Reed Marnie is one of the most charismatic, popular young men, and sponsors, fans, staff love him because what you see is what you get. No, very, very good answer, mate. Um, that brings us to the end of this week's mailbag for Joey, but we're not done with you yet, mate. Um, we've got a, a little Ooh. a little bone to pick with you because we're going to go back to Ooh. the NRL and you're absent uh, for this particular game. So we're going to jump back uh, well, for the review of this particular game. We're going to jump back two weeks. Um, you've been around the club for a long time across a, a couple of stints now, um, but you'd know about all our fruitless trips to the, the nation's capital. It's a decade and a half since we had last one prior to 2021. Um what do we do this year to get that win that we hadn't done before up against you know, a, a premiership contender and a team that's had the wilderness in that particular venue for so, so long? Yeah, well, can I go back to uh, and talk to you about, we'll come back to the Canberra thing, but we've had three away games. We had Brisbane around one. We had Canberra two weeks ago. And we had uh, Northern Territory um, just last week. Traditionally, we've been really poor at winning games away um, when, we have, when we've had to travel. So not only the Canberra game, but there's a belief in this squad that we've overcome our biggest fear. Um, we've actually won our three games that we played away, and I don't mean just at Bookvale or around the corner or whatever, but in another, uh, another region or territory, which just typifies what our confidence level is like opposed to previous years. Now, I've got no information other than we never used to win away, but now we do. So I'm making this analogy with any, without any statistics or that's just my view. But going back to the Canberra game, um, we had a level of, of aggression and our ability to carry the ball, our post metres on contact was through the roof. Um, and I feel it's the new players that are coming into our program. In particular, Papa Healy, he's come in and has got so much energy. And even at work, even at training, it's infectious. His ability to jump around and smile, his youthfulness is just so refreshing. And I really think that our level uh, of um, energy that we had against Canberra in, on two, in two, weeks, uh, two weeks ago was a catalyst of us, you know, giving them a bath. Now, I know a lot of people said that uh, they look flat, uh, Canberra Raiders and so forth, but I don't think Canberra Raiders look too flat. I just think we were so much more energised than what we have been this year. And mixed with that confidence of winning games away, it's a recipe for success. It really, really is. So the team's on a little bit of a, a confidence trip at the moment. We've got a lot of confidence. Um, but 
the, the level of energy in our training sessions, um, that was the biggest difference. That's been the uh, biggest difference from um, us previously going to Canberra. And who knows, maybe on the back of us being able to believe we can win games away has allowed us to um, even fulfil that more. And just taking that on now to the Broncos match, what do you think about the impact of the Eels bench this year? Well, I could not have asked for a better response with the uh, changes that Brad Arthur made on that Broncos game. To put Will Smith on when uh, Brad decided to uh, was a masterstroke. He made three changes and all players had an immediate impact um, with the ball. But even without the ball defensively, they were so good and fresh and it just ensured that we were able to maintain a little bit of energy and momentum before half time. It was a master stroke. And that's the beauty of having someone like Will Smith, who traditionally is a six, seven, one, but and a nine. Um, but put him in a 13, bit of leg speed in those difficult conditions. Um, Brad was uh, technically perfect with his interchanges against the Broncos. And they all done a fabulous job. Um, really excited, obviously, for, for Cardi too. I know he, he tried a little bit too hard against the Dragons, but certainly against the Broncos, um, I thought Brad um, used him really effectively. So it was a master stroke, a masterclass by Brad. And um, that just shows that not every game uh, you use your reserves the same way. And, uh, it, you know, you, you get a gut feel of, of when you should um, make changes and when you shouldn't. Yeah, and you know, obviously it was good to see the Eels finally secure a blowout win in a place where they've won a lot of football, honestly, in Darwin. They were five from six heading into it, but uh, they showed superior fitness and, and the depth of their squad against the Brisbane Broncos, so a very good result. Yeah, 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 yeah they did. They did a, um, a wonderful job. They're, they're certainly healthy and fitter, and um, yeah, it appeared that way. But also, for us holding the ball, uh, we didn't make as many tackles mm-hmm. as they did. Uh, and it, in in the end, that just added up, didn't it? Yes, sir. So let's uh, let's round it out for question. Looking towards round eight, we're taking on another traditional rival in the Canterbury Bulldogs, who will be buoyed from their first win last week against Cronulla. Uh, regardless of their respective ladder positions between the two teams, there's been some very tight encounters in recent years, and uh, it was actually the Dogs who handed the Eels one of their few uh, defeats at Bankwest Stadium last year. Mm. That's right. And so I imagine we give them plenty of respect. Uh, but do we need to do anything different this week as opposed to those contests in recent years against the Dogs in order to secure the two points? Yeah, I think we spoke about this three weeks ago uh, when we were leading into West Tigers. Um, I remember having a conversation with you, Legends, and we said the Tigers are like the Bulldogs. We don't, we, we don't uh, convincingly beat them. Um, and last year we had a struggle. They're a team that are a bit of a thorn in their in, in our side. So um, they're going to be uh, obviously really excited on the back of that win last week. Their level of relief will, was there to see after the game, obviously. Um, I don't think the game is going to be a blowout, uh, as the tables would suggest. Um, so um, I would think that, it's going to be a lot closer than what people think. However, I think with our level of confidence and where we're at at the moment, 
Um, yeah, we'll get two points. And um, I think you're going to see a kicking game um, as good as we have seen uh, even in round two. So uh, I know that's where the focus is this week. And um, we're, going to, we're going to be the benefactories of that um, uh, this weekend. All right, Joey, sorry for the, the pregnant pause there. I wasn't sure if Sixy was going to jump in with a go-home question, but as always, we appreciate you coming on the show and giving us so much time and, and so much depth and insight to your answers. Um, it's something that I don't think any of the other 15 clubs in the NRL can attest to having uh, such access to knowledge of just the juniors and the NRL squad too. So thanks for coming on, mate, and uh, we'll touch base with you, hopefully with a, another grand final win in the Harold Matthews next week. Uh, you guys are awesome. Love you dearly, and... Uh, you're doing a hell of a job, and I really appreciate it. Just um, uh, um, with our Harold Matthews uh, Cup program, I'd encourage everyone to get out of the card over and come and see a wonderful game of footy. It's team number one versus team number two in the Harold Matthews Cup. And, Here we uh, go again, see, Manly and yes, Para. Here we go again, Manly and Para. Um, uh, and, and I think you'll have a, a couple of names that you might need to write in your black book and Hopefully we'll watch them progress up the ladder and in two or three years' time, you never know. We might have another uh, Jake Arthur. We might have, might have another Dylan Brown or we might have another um, Oregon Kafusi knocking at the door. So, uh, again, thanks, uh, Cumberland Throw. You guys are awesome. 60s and Jono, um, you're doing a hell of a job and we appreciate all the support uh, on behalf of the juniors. Well said, mate. And we'll, and we'll see you out there at Leichhardt Oval on Saturday, mate. Just be close to the tunnel because if we uh, manage a win, you'll be coming in live and you can video you can video the team song yourself. There we go. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Hope, hopefully a pending exclusive. So uh, we'll, we'll look forward to a good result for the Eels on the weekend. Thanks, Joey. Thanks, we'll, guys. We'll Thanks, catch you guys. next time, mate. Thank you. Now, 60s, uh, this is usually the part of the podcast where we sort of go for our our sort of lightning quick uh, reviews and previews as we go across all the different grades, starting from the uh, Harold Matts and up to the NRL, obviously. But it's a little bit of a special occasion this week because it's not just any normal Harold Matthews game, is it, mate? No, we've got the Harold Matthews Grand Final on Saturday at Leichhardt Oval. We'll be there uh, covering the uh, Grand Final, of course, for TCT followers. And, um, yeah, we're, we're having followed the team from uh, the start of the season and bringing you coverage throughout the year. It's great that they're in the uh, ultimate game of the season with the grand final. So we're going to give them a bit of a dedicated block this week as we do a review of the grand final qualifier against the Penrith Panthers on Saturday and then lead that into a big preview of what we're going to be taking on in the Manly Seagulls this Saturday. Uh, but yeah, to start with that, myself and Sixties are out there out at HE Labor Sporting Complex. Uh, pretty nice uh, field, I have to say. Um, out of Blacktown Way. Uh, the Eels played host, technically, to the Penrith Panthers and ended up winning 14-6. to For the Eels, it was Suliasi Aho, uh, Joshua Alzahim, and Yeya Ayachi who scored. Ethan Sanders striking just one from three conversions. And uh, for the Panthers, Billy Scott scored a nice try for them down their left edge with uh, Tyler Bunting adding one penalty conversion but no try conversions. So a very low-scoring game for the Harold Matthews. But this one was a pretty high-quality affair, wasn't it, mate? Mate, I thought it was actually one of the best Harold Matts matches that I've watched. Um, well, I, I'm struggling to think of a better quality game. I might be going back to that uh, particular group that Dylan Brown was part of mm-hmm. uh, when they were when they were going through. But 
yeah, it's hard to it's hard to think of a better quality game because the Eels absolutely earned that match. Some of the um, and both teams, some of the takes of the high balls yeah. under pressure was just absolutely phenomenal. If you were an NRL player, you would have been proud to take some of the uh, floating bombs that were put up uh, during the match, and just the 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 quality of the um, of the defence from both teams because it. It wasn't just the high impact tackles; it was the scramble, the desperation to hold each uh, each team trying to hold the other out from scoring. It was um, it was edge of the seat stuff. Yeah, and you know we're so used to the Harold Matthews having a bit of a blowout aspect that that translates to the SG ball and the flag too, because um, defense can be a little bit lax at times. But you could tell that both teams were desperate to get that spot in the grand final. Oh, mate, they were both up for the contest, and. Neither let their supporters down. I know that Penrith, they'd probably be feeling a bit down and out, but ultimately you've got the teams that finished one and two contesting the grand final. And I think that was probably a pretty fair indication of how the season unfolded in the Yeah, backs. because obviously sometimes, you know, a team gets hot in the back end of the, the season and they'll storm into the finals from, you know, third, fourth, fifth or sixth. But in this case, I think the the Manless Eagles and the Parramatta Eels have been the form teams across the entire competition from start to finish, right from when they met each other in the first round, and then they're going to be playing the last game. So it's a little bit of a beautiful symmetry there, right? Yeah, and actually, it, it's funny that you mentioned that because I believe the uh, SG Ball Grand Final is between the fourth place and the sixth place teams, uh, one of which uh, Parramatta had a draw with and the other that they delivered an almighty yeah, fighting. Yeah, the Illawarra so. Steelers and the Canberra Raiders. And it, yeah. it, it leaves the SG ball wondering what could have been. Uh, but still, they're, they're getting plenty of quality time in the jersey flag now, which we'll get to later. But yeah, um, from this game, uh, you know, you look at your best three players, and I think we're having a chat in the, on the park, or sorry, on the, adjacent to the park. We weren't actually on the park itself uh, in the post game. And, you know, there was a few players that were very worthy of points. But uh, one of the most consistent players in, for the, in the entire season ended up getting our three, and that was Charlie Geimer. Oh look! I thought he was absolutely outstanding in the match. He uh, he was influential in um, a lot of the Eels' attack, and was unlucky to have a try disallowed where he stormed onto the ball. This is just before half time. Uh, it was a good flat ball, stormed onto it, broke the defence inside the quarter, strolled over the line for the try, but pulled back by the touch. Yeah, touch line ball forward pass. pass. I didn't see too many complaints from the boys, so. No, uh, it must no. have been, you know, forward enough to, you know, <laughs> say, oh, we'll suck it up. You got us. But yeah, Gaima did so much uh, hard work coming out of the red zone. Um, I don't think he got dominated in a tackle once all game. It was always going forwards. Uh, some quality defense. Uh, just absolutely professional is probably the, the word I'm looking for. And you love to see that in a young prospect because you can cut a lot of corners when you're young and, you know, foolish and looking to, you know, make a name for yourself. But I think that probably translates across the entire team. They've just been so well-coached and so professional. And that probably leads me to the, the other player, well, the player that ended up getting out two points, uh, Patrick Spence, who was just a pro at the fullback role, wasn't he? Mate, in us going through and identifying uh, some standout players, as you've just alluded to there, the entire team has been uh, thoroughly professional throughout the season. And... We were also talking about how they, how well they functioned as a team, and um, the quality of the performance, basically from one to seventeen in that match, or one to twenty, or whatever the, because there was a couple of large numbered jerseys that were out there. 
But um, so when we're picking out players like Charlie Geimer and Patrick Spence, that'll let you know the level that they played at at the match when we're talking about how outstanding the entire team was. And uh, yeah, so just to what you said about Patrick Spence, he is a, such a clever custodian. Mm-hmm. The the way that he organises the defence in front of him, um, his his calm play under pressure with the uh, the kicks that are coming through or defensively as he's looking to shut down plays and uh, yeah and there's been many a many a game where he's featured in attacking moves especially the old outside inside uh, ball that uh, that teams like to play so um, yeah he, he just had another one of his cracking games in that final and I suppose you couldn't time it better than no. to do it in a big game and then I thought the bench contributed massively to taking control of the game. Uh, Jacob John was very powerful with the middle. Joshua Alzheim scored a terrific solo try and nearly went over again. Uh, he's a little nugget and very difficult to tackle in the red zone in particular. Uh, but the, the player that's continued to garner some praise from us, and he's a year young in the grade, and he stepped up into the starting role in one of the most influential positions in the team, is Blaze Talungi, and he had another great game on the weekend. His performance on the weekend, he's... He's probably had now uh, about three outstanding performances since being elevated to the starting team, and that was uh, to uh, through an injury to young Lafay. Uh, it is Lafay. Terence Lafay, uh, correct? Yeah. Terence Lafay. Yeah. So uh, Terence Lafay had a, a, I think it was a knee injury, mm-hmm. and um, so we've seen Blaze Talagi, who had been coming on in the matches and sort of playing that lock third playmaker role when he'd come on um and in this in the game on the weekend he reminded me quite a bit of dylan brown in the physicality of the game that he played it was it was absolutely um outstanding some of the contact that he made where you'd hear the sound of the tackle and he'd look up and it'd be a, a one-on-one tackle that he executed on the uh on the uh, on the ball runner. It, it was just a, a really impressive physical game that he played. Yeah, his consistency in defense is really eye-catching because he makes great reads and then executes on them uh, with zero hesitation and strong contact. He's forced a number of turnovers across the course of the season on that basis, and it's very surprising for a young half to have that sort of... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That aggressiveness, I suppose? Um, yeah. You know, usually, a lot of them are reticent to tackle. They're starting, you know, they're, they're sort of being the guys that distribute and, and get protected by their back rowers and even their props. Uh, but in this case, Blaze just has no sense of self-preservation. He is happy to attack in defense. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a an interesting contrast because Lafay is very light on his feet. He's a real um, light stepping five eight. You could get um, the individual try from him where he's leaving defenders uh, grasping at thin air uh, Blaze tends to be, um, he'll take that line on as I said similar to uh, Dylan Brown where uh, there's a bit of power in his play so um, uh, so it's not, not just in defence where I think he shines but he's got that capacity to take on the line and to look to power through the tackles I, I, I've been I've been mightily impressed as as the season's gone on. I got to see a little bit of him last year in the Andrew Johns Cup. 
and it was not a surprise to see him elevated into the uh, Mats team this year. Now, I do recall you uh, spruiking his name last year in, in a limited capacity with the season before the season shut down and then sort of penciling him into a role in this team. And now you're sort of going to pencil him in as, you know, probably the guy in 2022 uh, for the Herald Mats. So, uh, yeah, well, look, it's I think for a team, as I said, they're very well off because you've got um, Sanders who uh, does a, a very good job in the halfback role. And I think it's going to make if if we have Terence Lafay fit this week, it's going to be an interesting selection dilemma. Um, and, and actually, have you got the team list? Yeah, there? so let's let's transition to that. So reminder, final score in that grand final qualifier, the Parramatta Eels. 14 defeat in the Pender Panthers, 6. Uh, so that keeps them to just the one loss on the season, uh, taking on the undefeated Manly Seagulls in what will take place on Saturday at 1 o'clock out at Leichhardt Oval, which has become the traditional home of the Junior Reps finals in recent years. Before that, it sort of bounced around St. Mary's and a couple other venues, but they've sort of locked it into Leichhardt in recent times, so given a little bit of tradition there. And it looks like this for the Parramatta Eels, with uh, Patrick Spence at fullback, Suliasi Aho and Josh Liala Lotto on the wings. Charlie Geimer and Declan Murray in the centres. So that's the full-strength back line right there. In the halves, Blaise Talangi does uh, reprise his role as a starting 5'8", and will partner Ethan Sanders at halfback. Front row of Sam Tuovati, Yeya Ayachi, Orfag Mino. A back row of Dom Destratus, Saxon Pryke, and Miles Martin. On the bench, we do have Terence Lafay taking the 14 uh, jersey as the utility, uh, and he'll be there alongside Big Jacob John, Joshua Alzahim, and Raf Destratus. Genesis Talangi Suwala is the 18th man who did play a short role um, coming back from injury last week. Uh, the one thing probably worth pointing out here is I was, we're trying to figure out, there was at one point in the game against the Penrith Panthers, we were concerned that the Neil might get a suspension for a late hit on the halfback. Um, I believe it was Raf Stratus that made the hit, but he seems to be fine because he's in the team. So the Eels are ostensibly full strength for this game. Yeah, and that just answers the question that I was leading on to where we had heard that um, Terence Lafay was uh, likely to be available for selection this week, and it was a case of, well, where do we go? Because Lafay did a great job during the season. He did. And um, then you have uh, Blaze, who's uh, put in the sort of performances that are very hard to deny. So. I guess this is a case where Steve O'Day goes, well, look, I don't want to make too many changes mm-hmm. to a winning combination. Um, and who knows, It's uh, it could be, I would imagine that uh, Terence Lafay might come on and play the sort of role that Blaze Talangi was playing when he was coming off the bench. And having his uh, light feet and agility coming on against the fatiguing forward pack, you know, maybe some chances to exploit those uh, retreating forwards. I'd be interested to see how they do use him. I'm looking at that Manly outfit. It is the team that handed the Eels their only defeat of the season way back in round one. Um, the Parramatta Eels actually had a shot at winning that game until like the last 10 minutes. They went down 22-14, to 14, so it was far from a beatdown. But yeah, uh, tries to uh, Latu Fainu, Josh Felody, and Lee, uh, Lehi Hopwadi in the last 11 minutes uh, took the Eels from a, a lead to being down the barrel of eight points. Um, and those, that, probably those three players are the ones that you look at that team and highlight. I know that, uh, oh, sorry, let me just get back up here. Yeah, Latu Fainu, younger brother of Menezi Fainu, uh, very talented 5'8", Lehi Hopawadi, another part of the Hopawadi clan, and the captain, Josh Feldy, who's out in the centres, um, he was a pretty 
pretty difficult to bring down at times. And there is another Finu on this team, uh, Samuela Finu. So I assume he's a connection to the the same family. But in round one, it was those three players that proved to be the difference in the last eleven minutes. The captain just refreshed my memory. Was he a really tall? Uh, um, Josh Felwardy, left centre for him on the day. Uh, uh, yeah, a tall, sort of rangy Anglo centre. Um, had a really good game for him. It was part of that uh, last-minute try they scored where they completely bombed the fifth tackle and uh, lost about 30 metres and then turned that into like a 60-metre try. It was bizarre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, unfortunately, I remember that all too well. But, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, do, I do recall him causing some havoc out wide in a, a, a short period of time during that game. And, he, he combined um, with Latu yeah. Finu uh, very well down that left edge. Fino would uh, break the first tackle, slip an offload, and Feli would be right in his hip to take the break. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, lots of uh, attacking threats from the Manly uh, side. Um, uh, just looking at their, uh, the rest of their team, mate, who, who, do, you, who do you see as their, um, as their threats outside of those players? Uh, they've got a pretty handy dummy half in Ollie Cummings. I'm not really sure about the forward pack. I'm just trying to recall from the round one game. I felt like we handled their forward pack pretty well. A lot of their explosive plays came from the players that we just mentioned that created you know half opportunities that they quickly turned into full breaks. So it sort of comes back on the eels to do the same job that they did for 49 minutes, but for the full 60. Uh, you know, you play your, your strong football through the middle. You've got halves and and backs that will take uh, care of the opportunities when it gets to the red zone, and you know just don't bleed too many line breaks and don't bleed too many tackle busts. Yeah, it's. I think that that very first uh, match we saw. Uh, I suppose you'd have to say that the team had a lapse in concentration Easy, in yeah. that period in the second half, and that really was um, telling when it came to the. Um, uh, I suppose just letting Manly get that jump on them when it looked like the match was well and truly in their control. Yeah, they were, they were up fourteen points to. Uh, I'm not sure if it was six or uh, 14 points to six um, before that final 11 minute period, and you, you know just the they slipped off a few tackles and Manly just went bang 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 three tries, so they they're definitely showing that they're right up there with Manly and perhaps as a as a cohesive unit they might be the better team, like you know as a you know one to 17 everyone doing their job maybe they're a better team but Manly have got some serious star power, and it's going to be on the Eels to be able to match up to that. And you know, not have any lapses of concentration, not have any moments where you give those guys the op- like just a little bit of an opportunity they need to bust the game open. Yeah, how much of that star power is from Western Sydney? Well, we we do know that the the Finer family do uh, locate from out here. Manezi was in the uh, I think it was the Parramatta district, but he was recruited very young by the, uh, the Seagulls, and that led to much like with uh, Josh Schuster, who is now a star in the NRL team for Manly. His big brother Pete was uh, recruited from a young age, which led to Josh, you know, falling into their system too. So I know that the Finu, system, uh, the Finu family would be for that way. Uh, the Hopawati obviously affiliated with the, the Seagulls more than anything else. Um, if Ham was here, he could tell me a little bit more, but I'm, as far as I know, they're the two, uh, sorry, the, the Finu family would be the main one. Yeah, I've, I've got a feeling there might be a yeah, connection with we, the, the team to... Um, to the Guildford Club, and they might have a few players. Yeah, that well, we, we do know that the Manly Seagulls recruit very aggressively from both Penrith and Parramatta's catchments. So, you know, and that's part of the the game. Um, so you can't complain too much. The Eels are obviously doing quite well in terms of their juniors too. 
but yeah, um, mainly recruiting heavily from the Western Sydney, and it's doing all right for them. Yeah, well, I suppose it's um, they're, they're looking at getting their hands on uh, the best playing talent that they possibly can, and if most of that is coming from Western Sydney, well, you're going to have to, I suppose we're going to expect that there's they're going to um, look to grab some of the, the playing talent, be it from uh, Parramatta, the West Tigers, uh, Penrith Panthers, whatever the case may be. But let's concentrate on our boys because it, even if we're saying, oh, they shouldn't have this player or shouldn't have that player, this Parramatta Reels team, as far as I'm aware, only has uh, one player who uh, originates from outside the district, that being Miles Martin. So we've got a good collection of local boys that are um, that have made the grand final. So it's, it, it does talk to the strength of the uh, local talent that's coming through. Um, look, I, I looking at the at the team. I've been a huge fan of the Eels pack yeah. all season. I, I think they've done a tremendous job. The 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 props and the rotation from the bench to the to the middle forwards. I think they've done a great job laying down um, a, a platform for the for the victories each week the the back rowers man like they are so busy and so energetic the way they hit the edge it's um you you spoke about um the uh distratus uh twins before um we had a a a situation through the middle of the year i think where dom might have missed a game or two where he was injured yep and, and raf came in it was like you didn't didn't miss a beat yeah well it was a little bit of twin magic wasn't it so <laughs> uh but yeah, yeah dom had a red hot start the season got a little bit nicked up raf came into the starting team and did a great job um you know you mentioned that front row they're probably a little bit underrated in terms of the coverage you've given him um sam tuavati uh got a bit of praise from us in the preseason, but he and orfag mino have just been so consistent uh you know I can't even think of a bad game they've played between the two of them. Uh, Miles Martin uh, probably had a bit of a disappointing game against the Penrith Panthers, but he's got some serious uh, skill and, and and potential. He's like uh, a player that would definitely be earmarked for uh, greater things down the road at this point in time because he's got a great frame. He can do a bit of ball playing. He's, he's very uh, energetic on both defense and attack. And then you look at the bench, and um, Jacob John has been fantastic consistently, brings a lot of uh, power, a uh, big body, uh, doesn't mind a bit of ball playing too. And uh, Joshua Alzahim is the the little pocket rocket. He's an absolute nugget that has been very difficult for opposition teams to tackle. So there's a great blend of body types, a great blend of, of athletic, uh, like positive athletic differences, I suppose, is probably the way I want to say it. And that sort of combination makes the Eels hard to get a, 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 the opposition for the, hard for the opposition to put a lid on them in any given game. Jeez, I got there in oh. the end. Yeah, yeah, look, you you are you are right talking about the body types because the um the, our middle players are are quite um well they're quite sizable blokes uh, really for, so they're they they're maybe not the biggest in the comp but they they certainly are a handful for the opposition once they get that roll on happening. Uh, you talked about then the different body types with. Uh, and I suppose the ultimate comparison is Elza Him and uh, Martin in in comparing yeah. body types, yep. where you you've got, as you said, the pocket rocket in Elza Him, and then you have the, uh, the the taller, lanky Miles Martin, who is just as difficult to 
to be brought down with the frame that he has. And he plays a very aggressive game, Miles. And uh, and I think probably where um, you get some of those errors is where sometimes I think he just um, he, he just pushes it just a little bit yep, too much. I think that's fair. Um, he's, and, he's redlining yeah. so hard for the team that you know he's probably half a step in front of where he needs to be. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. When you're talking errors, you're just talking about the odd handling error where, as I said, it, it, it's like he's he's hitting that line just a fraction too hard and um, and he's he's already into the contact and without securing the ball. So, um, but in, in terms of the, the threat that they pose, it, it, it's a double threat because um, I, I had... I'm trying to think where their where their best where their greatest strength lies because they can be so aggressive in defence and in this grade as as you've indicated before it's not always renowned for great defence and if you can physically dominate your opposition and I want to stress to the uh, people that are listening to this who haven't seen the team in action. When I'm talking about physically dominating, I'm not talking about a, a group of oversized kids where it looks like it's um, adults playing against kids or, or teenagers playing against kids. That sort of domination, which people might have, you know, come to come to mind when they're thinking about um, uh, the the difference in the size of of young players. The Parramatta team is a mix of body types. But they play a very, very aggressive form of football and really look to dominate in defence as much as they possibly can. Definitely. And and I think that there's as much to do with their success. I mean, it sounds ob- it is a captain obvious statement, of, you know, because there's two parts to the game with the the attack and the defence. But I think their defence is just as as impressive as their attack. And as we said before, this game kicks off at 1pm out at Leichhardt. You can get a live stream via NSWRL TV, which is a Facebook channel. So I think if you go onto the actual main portal, NewSouthWalesRugbyLeague.com, NSWRL.com, uh, you can, uh, .com that I use, sorry. Um, they'll have a, a link at some point later in the week. Um, but also if you're following them on Facebook, they'll obviously have some sort of update there. Um, but however, if you don't have access to the stream in terms of a, a, a a consistent internet connection, or you want to join the conversation on TCT, um, I will also be doing my traditional live blog from Leichhardt, uh, so don't be afraid to say hello, um, and hopefully we can get a good result on the weekend, eh? Mate, how about a prediction from you? Well, you got to go with the Eels, get a, bit, a little bit of revenge. Uh, that 22-14 scoreline probably won't be too far off where I think we're going to get on Saturday, so um, I'm not going to reverse it and, and be that basic, but I'll go Parramatta Eels 20 10 points for the Seagulls. First try scorer. Uh, it's gonna be, uh, I'm going to have a little cheat here. It'll be Yaya Ayachi or one of his big boys, maybe Miles Martin. They love that little uh, like sort of under and double under play from dummy half. Yeah, look, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, Yaya Ayachi because um, he, he certainly scored a, cr- a critical try. In um in that game in the finals against uh, the Panthers, that uh, that feigning to the bodies going everywhere, he feigns to go to the left, darts himself uh, under the posts, uh, critical try. I think he's had a great season. Uh, I think our spine is going to be um, 
the way that we get this win. I know that I've I, I raved on about the forwards, but I just think we might have the edge over Manly in the spine. I'm going to go for... I'm actually going to go for a um, a bigger win. I'm going to Ooh. go Eels... Yeah, I'm going to go Eels 28, Manly 8. Wow. That, that, as far as grand finals go, that's pretty comprehensive. Uh, who are you going to go for first try scorer? Mm, first try scorer? I can't go past Charlie Geimer. He's been the guy for, if you pardon the pun there, he's been the guy for the Eels all season, and uh, he'd be a very deserving first try scorer, that's for sure. Yeah. Now, having said the 28 to 8, I'm going to take a win by any score. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> true. That is very true. All righty. So, yeah, catch all that action from Leichhardt on TCT or New South Wales Rugby League TV. And like I said, don't be afraid to say hello and join the conversation. Now, uh, that result against the Penrith Panthers on Saturday was actually the first part of a massive triple header for myself in 60s. Uh, it, it wasn't a triple header at one particular ground, which meant that we had to go from Blacktown down the highway to uh, the old Wenty Leagues, where Ringrose Park played host to a double header against the South Sydney Rabbitohs in the Jersey flag and the New South Wales Cup, or a knock-on effect New South Wales Cup, as it's now labelled. Thankfully, it was a, a pretty cool day for us, wasn't it, mate? Mate, it was... Um after the Eels win in the NRL, I don't think you could have had a better day result-wise than uh, what we had delivered to us by the Eels on Saturday. Yeah, the Eels uh, end up knocking out all four victories in the four grades that played across Friday and Saturday. Uh, we got through the Harold Matthews just then, but the Jersey flag lived up to uh, the sort of, I suppose, talent that we've sort of uh, been hoping from them or the, the projection on the field that we've been hoping for them. An injection from the SG ball really helped them get some energy and uh, go forward through this team. And they took on a, a very big South Sydney's Rabbitohs team uh, through the forward pack and, and outlasted them to the tune of 48-12. to 12. Uh, It was an absorbing contest through the first half. The Rabbitohs threw a lot at them with that big forward pack, but the Eels held on and then really put them to the sword in the second half. Uh, we had a Tavita Massima double, a Clayton Falolo double, uh, Jaden Yates, Brock Parker, Jaden Skinner, and Matthew Dragosic all getting over for the eight tries. Kyle Schneider very sharp off the boot, seven from eight in the terms of the try conversions. He also added a penalty goal, um, and the, the score at eighteen six at half time uh, probably didn't reflect uh, how close the contest was in that first forty. But geez, they ran away for it, ran away with it. Sorry, in the second forty or second thirty five. Sorry, because they don't play uh, full forty minutes in the flag. Hey, can we just mention the? Nostradamus that we had um, up in the stand near us on um, in, during that game. Yeah, well, some some uh, people that listen to the tip sheet might be familiar of who was uh, just to our right and providing us with some running commentary. But uh, this particular tipster uh, predicted a certain try scorer late in the uh, well, they scored late in the game. We predicted it from the start. Um, do you want to take it away, Matt? Yes. Well, our uh, our resident uh, eels. Pathways Elite Coaching Director, Joey Grimer, uh, came and spoke to us at the start of the contest. He said, uh, look for Brock Parker to get his first try <laughs> in this game. And uh, lo Fif- and behold... 59th uh, minute? Bang. Yeah. Uh, the big man crashed over on the back of... Uh, was it, a, was it a, a, a Dave Hollis carry? Someone made a great carry towards a post and really put the, the Rabbitohs on their back foot. I'm just trying to think who it was. But uh, I think it might have been Davy Hollis. Could be wrong about that. But yeah, this, this was a, a great game from the Eels. It was a significant reshuffle before kickoff uh, with Clayton Falolo shifting from 5'8 to fullback. Solomon and Idiki dropped down from uh, Reggie's to the 21s because of the 
addition of Hayes Perham to the reserve grade lineup. Then you had Jabril Kalachi getting promoted from the SG ball to the centers. Thrawn Easthope came onto the other wing. Massima came into 5'8". Kyle Schneider shifted from hooker to halfback. Then you had Ethan LeBlanc come from the bench to starting hooker. Uh, Peter Tatio went from bench to starting left edge back row. Uh, then you had Brock Parker coming to the team in the last minute with another SG ball player's 18th man, Larry Moagutatia. So they rung in significant changes ahead of the kickoff. And the team gelled very fast, I'll tell you that. Oh, look, I have to admit, when there were so many changes, when I was seeing uh, player numbers on the jerseys that went up to about 88. Uh, 18, no, 25, <laughs> 21, uh, 22. So they were getting pretty heavy use in the in the mid to high 20s, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it was harking back to the old days of the uh, when the reserve grade and third grade were numbered all the way through from mm-hmm. uh, continuing from the first grade. I was seeing all those high-numbered uh, jerseys. <laughs> uh, but when you have so many changes, you can't. You, the last thing on your mind is that they're going to gel as a team. And I, I thought that they gelled brilliantly. And when you think that you had um, the regular dummy half, Kyle Schneider, playing in the halves and all those other changes that you mentioned... It was, you know, it was a, it was a credit to them how well they went. Um, Clayton Fualala, he he, he was uh, sensational. Yeah, he was very uh, impressive at fullback. I I had him as uh, my man of the match. Um, I don't know who you would have had as he, yours, he was. He was right up there because he was heavily involved. Uh, some great positional play in offense. Really backed up all his forwards and and uh, other spine players and looked good in open space. Yeah, yeah, he, he was just a constant menace, and and, um, and the thing was that I was surprised that Massima wasn't um, playing at fullback, and yet um, all those all those changes just um, it was almost like uh, Dino pulled the right rein with, <laughs> with every single selection. Yeah, credit to Dean Feeney coaching a very young team. Um, it's never easy. Um, the Rabbitohs, very, like I said, a very big and physical outfit, but the Eels outlasted them. And I think, like we said before, the energy from the young kids really helped them. Um, and I want to give a shout-out to Peter Tatia, who was the captain of the SG Ball, starting on the left edge. Uh, very, very explosive. The Rabbitohs couldn't contain him. He was breaking a lot of tackles, either breaking the line or getting the half-break to slip away uh, an offload. Um, it was very good. But I thought that um, the big hyphen, Jonte Jr. Befemiza, was rock solid off the bench playing through the middle. Brock Parker obviously scored a nice try himself. Uh, Jabril Kalachi coming into the centres doing a job. So a lot of young inclusions. And, and you know, there's other players that were right in the mix too. Tyrone Sow, who played fullback and centre in the SG ball, was um, right in the mix this week before I think he got nicked up. So there's a lot of... And I think was it last week Joey said, was there 13 players from the SG ball? Yeah, something like that. 13, yeah. 13 SG Ball eligible players from 2021 that will be right in the mix for the uh, Jersey flag. And he, he obviously wasn't kidding because, you know, just this week we had five or six right there. Larry Moagutatio, 18th man as well. So love to see the young kids coming in. And, you know, this is going right through to reserve grade too where we've spoken at length about the SG Ball eligible players and the flag eligible players in that grade that could otherwise be playing in a lower grade, but they're doing their development in the higher levels. So well done to the Eels. The win lifts them back into the top four, if I'm not mistaken. I'm just going to quickly pull up the ladder. Yeah, oh, sorry, into the top six. I was thinking about reserve grade there. So 
Uh, they're now in the finals hunt proper. They are chasing the uh, Penrith Panthers and the West Tigers, who are on top of the ladder uh, with the... Yeah, so there is no undefeated team now in the in the Jersey flag. The West Tigers are four wins, one draw. The Penrith Panthers are four wins, one loss. So they're both right up there. The Eels are on two wins. So still trying a little bit behind, but they're starting to get their season underway, which is good to see. Yeah, are we going to see Josh Chappell elevated into the halves at any time soon, do you think, mate? I think so, because, you know, credit to Kyle Schneider, who's doing a, a pretty tough job sliding from dummy half to halfback. Um, and, you know, he's, he's helped the Eels get to a, a win last week, and I think it was a, a run, they got run down by Manly the week before. So he's, you know, one and one, which is pretty much what you can expect when you put a dummy half into halfback. But, yeah, uh, Josh is a very much the classic organising halfback, uh, solid kicking game, nice passing game, really good at organising the team on both sides of the ball. And I feel like he, he'll be a player that will give the team a lot of impetus to stay focused across the full course of the contest. So I am looking forward to him joining the team proper. Yeah, and I think that's a fair comment too because you just sense that the finishing touch is going to be uh, an experienced half. And and it might sound funny (laughs) when we're talking about an age team to talk about an experienced half, but what we mean is I should be saying a specialist half. Yes. In that that position. And Josh had um, a a great year in the SG ball prior to – uh, I'm not sure if it was a quadriceps injury or something, but late in the year he picked up a leg injury that really took the the gas out of his uh, kicking leg, and he, uh, so he's obviously been rehabilitating that one. And I'm um, thankful. Hopefully, he'll be full strength when he gets a chance in the Jersey Flake. Yeah. So um, that win was a, a nice prelude to the um, New South Wales Cup, the knock-on effect New South Wales Cup game, also between the Eels and South Sydney. Um, I think maybe the less said about the first half. I was about, I was about to say, you know, you talk about your game of two halves and whatnot. The first, there is no way that you look at the first half. It was a bludger. Uh, you know, South Sydney didn't play that well, to be fair, too. But they uh, found a way to punish the Eels for their compressed defensive line. Uh, Eels looking to muscle up in South Sydney's red zone defensively. And uh, the visitors were very aggressive shifting the ball, both via hand and uh, foot using kicking game and passing game in equal measure to catch the Eels short. And I think we, we tallied about four or five line breaks down either edge. I, sorry, not four or five on each edge, but four or five total across both edges uh, as the Rabbitohs ventured their, their hand aggressively. And thankfully, the Eels made the halftime adjustment because we had a, a Steve Masters double in the first half with Nick Mugios also scoring to have the visitors up 16-12 at halftime. But uh, the Parramatta Eels through Ellie Elzegham, a Sean Russell double, Hayes Dunster, Ryan Madison, Keegan Hipgrave, and Jordan Rankin scoring seven tries across the team, along with Rankin going five from seven on the tee, uh, saw the Eels prevail 38 to 20 in an absolutely scorching second half. Yeah, when it's, it's, fair, it's fair to say that in that first half that, look, I think we were lucky to be uh, only four points yeah, down. The, the, the South City oh. botched a few tries uh, for sure. Uh, there was at least one point where they kicked to the left. They ended up scoring the same way later in the game, but there was a very fortuitous bounce that allowed Hayes Dunster to get the ball batted dead or, or knocked on in the contest in the Rabbitohs. I can't recall correctly which way it went. But, you know. Well, look, I, I, I have to say, and I did say to you out there, this is a bludger of a game yeah. in that first half. And, and uh, for us being out there after um, heading out to Blacktown in the morning for the 
the early game. And uh, when we're starting to get into the floodlights were coming on during the first half of the uh, New South Wales Cup game. And uh, I was having, uh, I was almost going into an old man nana nap in that first <laughs> half. It was such a bludger of a game. And uh, thankfully, the second half, it came to life. And uh, I think it was no coincidence that uh, Jake Arthur became, um, he basically grabbed hold of the team. Definitely. And, um, and the direction that he provided in the second half uh, and- was a big difference and to credit jake the south Sydney rabbitohs had a big target on his back in the first half they pummeled him he got hit like legally he got hit hard every time he took on the line they were putting pressure on each of his kicks they were trying to test him in defense and he sucked it all up and turned it around the blowtorch on them in the second half and if we just pull up his stats he went over went over 100 meters running off nine runs 103 meters uh he got through uh two line break assists one line break and two try assists broke a couple of tackles kicked really neatly um, in particular, there was a, a moment where the Eels ran the ball down their left. Uh, it looked like they are going to get caught in the last, but Ryan Madison slipped an offload to, it might have been uh, Shabell Tassipali or Atasi James, number 16. And then they then found uh, uh, Jake Arthur, who summed it up perfectly for a nice little crossfield kick over to Hayes Dunster, who ended up touching down. So he, he's very poised. He's willing to take on the line. And that was you know used to full effect in the second half where he got the, the fatigue in defense and uh, he's surprisingly quick, Jake, and surprisingly uh, strong, I suppose, because defenders have been consistently sort of falling off him and allowing him to make, uh, make those line breaks in the senior grade. Yeah, if there was a, a part of his game that he wanted to develop as he came out of the junior pathways and started to play senior football, it would be his running game. He's always been renowned as a game manager. He's always been renowned as playing for his teammates uh, rather than himself. So he'd always be looking to to set up someone outside of him or or look at who he can put through the gap. And it's not to say that doesn't exist. And sometimes you've got to be selfish to be selfless, mate. That's it. That's it. So uh, what we're seeing this year is that his running game has developed so that if um, – and look, he would always take – he was also someone who wouldn't throw the pass if the pass wasn't on. He's never shied away from taking a hit. So I should I should clarify that, that it's not a case of, you know, shoveling the ball on and not getting into the physical side of it because um, much like others that we've talked about in the Parramatta halves, he is he's someone who never shies away from the physicality. His defence is extremely strong. It's probably one of the strengths of his game. But... Um, He's he's found an elusiveness, as you said, um, and you know perhaps it's a strength in the tackles where he is getting through tackles, pulling out of tackles, or he's got that um, enough of that uh, pace off the mark to get away from a defender. Uh, so basically, from a standing start, able to um, able to get himself through a gap. Now that's a big advantage for a halfback and. And I, I'm going to be honest. I, I, I am. I've been surprised by his pace this year. It's um, he's definitely I, I come on growth area. Yeah, he's definitely come on uh, as he's growing into that frame. He really shot up, and he and he's starting to fill in slowly, which is helping him with his explosiveness. And you know, he's definitely got a ways to go in that regard. But it's a great foundation for him, and it's why he's starting to 
take control of the you know the senior grade where he could otherwise have been found out in. Yeah, he's somewhere between six uh, two and six three now. He's in the low eighties, I believe, in kgs in um, in the weight. So with his frame, I'm, I would think that <clears throat> uh, you know a year or so down the track, when if when he's looking at playing a bit more NRL, that um, I, I would imagine they'd like him around that eighty-eight to nine. Definitely, with, definitely. With a, a six-two frame, so he's probably got uh, you know six or seven kilos that he might want to put on. But um, I tell you what, when you when you look at someone like um, Sam Walker and his exceptionally light frame and how well he's <laughs> going in first grade for the Roosters, I I, I have no problems with um, with Jake Arthur growing a bit more with a frame that's already six two and over eighty, over eighty kgs. And thankfully, the Eels obviously in a position where they can nurture Jake with a little bit of care in <coughs> TLC. Uh, you know, let him uh, take a bit more time in reserve grade that otherwise might not have got another club because we do have Mitchell Moses and Dylan Brown. Um, so which is always nice. But I look at this game and there's some funny notes come out of this. Um, obviously Hayes Perrin made his not not his club debut because he actually debuted for the Eels a few weeks back against the Magpies when he was a contractor to the New Zealand Warriors. So he makes his, uh, his contracted debut, I suppose, by the way of putting it. And I thought he was a little bit guilty of overplaying his hand in the first half, um, trying to, you know, maybe impress in a new team and, and you know, go a little bit too hard. But in the second half, he, he let things come to him a little bit more naturally and looked pretty sharp, which is um, really good to see. Looks to be a pretty handy prospect as a, a fullback or back-on utility for the Eels. Yeah, and uh, someone mentioned on uh, TCT in a reply, and I thought, you know, it's not a bad uh, observation to make that down the track he could be a viable bench option for first grade. And to that end, I might describe him as being a future Will Smith yeah. in that in that he's got that potential that he could play that third playmaker in the middle he could cover pretty much every backline position or facil- or in in a way facilitate a change that can help cover every backline position yeah so he's um if he continues to develop then he he makes himself an option down the track as a as a bench option so um and we'll we'll get to the Parramatta bench this week because that's uh, oh, the NRL bench this yeah. week is a, yeah. a little bit further down. Yeah, the, the battle, track, the but, battle of the um, bench yeah, has been brewing for a while, but yeah, it's starting in round eight, so <laughs> we'll get to that yeah. later. But uh, Perham's arrival at the club uh, facilitated a change for Sean Russell, who has been playing fullback in reserve grade for the entirety of the season up until round seven. And for Russell, it was, a, it was an odd game because in his defence, he hasn't played wing for a long time. He hasn't played wing for years. I think going back to maybe Harold Matthews. Uh, well, that's my first recollection is of him as a winger in the Harold Matthews. Yeah, the sharpshooting winger with a, what, probably the best kicking action off the tee in the club. Uh, but since then, he's either been centre or, or more specifically fullback. So it was a, a big shift for Sean and, you know, probably less than a week of training on the wing. And it saw him get found out a few times in defence. And there were times where he actually made the right read but couldn't wrap up. There were times when he was caught a little bit short and didn't go the right way for his centre. But at the same time, he also was very opportunistic in attack and scored a nice little double, 
One was a, a little batted ball intercept that he took from about 35 metres out in the Eels line, and no one came close to touching him. He just raced away. Yeah, he is He is quite fast. Uh, that if that was something that I noted during the preseason. Uh, there was one moment I remember in the preseason where uh, Wonga Blake couldn't run him down. Yeah, and, and Wong is no slouch when it comes to speed. So it was nice to see Sean show a clean set of heels there. And the second try he scored was probably the most comical I've seen in some time. The Eels mis-executed, I think it was an unders ball down the left edge. Uh, so it was play on because it hit the ground and, and skidded into the defensive line, no knock on. And the Warriors had two cracks at Warriors. The Rabbitohs had two cracks at picking it up, and they knocked it back both times. So uh, Sean Russell sort of just jogged through and say thank you very much. I'll pick that up and score. So uh, it was still a good day at the office for Sean, um, which you like. Oh, to see. Can I just say that there there are highlights of that on the New South Wales Rugby League site, and I thought it was a, a good insight into the job that the referee did in that instance because it's the referee's mic'd up, and you can hear him call exactly what's happening at each moment there and why such a scrappy mess ended up being a try because from the where we were watching it from if he had a called up and just said look there's a knock on there somewhere we wouldn't have argued with it because the ball well, was just going here there and everywhere let's give jake sutherland the main official there a shout out because i thought he caught a pretty good game uh yeah you know, there's obviously stuff you can always nitpick they're offside and you know that was a forward pass because that's, you know, rugby league in a nutshell was such a fast game that you're going to miss some stuff. But I thought he caught a pretty good game. Yeah, we we can be um, quite critical of referees in the lower grades. And um, I, I want to counter that by saying, obviously, at, at these levels, they're learning their craft as yeah. much as the players are learning their craft. The referees are learning their craft. But like you, I thought, he, I thought it was a, a very good... Um, game that he controlled and uh yeah let's give him a shout out because i think he deserves it and and for the eels uh the usual suspects were pretty solid kai rodwell makahesi makatoa uh both of them gave a great platform for the eels keaton hipgrave was very good nearly started a stink scored a try of a nice pirouette continues to remain undefeated in 2021 so keeping that streak alive i suppose the big name everyone wants to know about though is uh ryan madison uh, i think ryan was very much a culprit of the team's issues in the first half he had a nice line break and then forced a, an errant pass to Jacob Arthur, which saw the Rabbitohs take possession. But in the second half, he was dominant. He was breaking tackles. He was offloading. Scored a great try from a beautiful pass from uh, Jacob Arthur, but also a nice overs line from Madison himself. And he looked every bit the uh, elite NRL player playing in reserve grade. Yeah, I when I was asked what was my impression of Maddo's game, I said he built into it. He got better as the game went on. And I think that's I think that's a fair assessment because, as we said, that first half was a bludger of a game. It was a bludger of a game right across the the uh, almost the the one to thirteen that were out there, um, and that's for both teams. Um, but yeah, Ryan Madison, he he looked like that as you said that elite NRL player running around in reserve grade and in playing the eighty minutes, he basically put his hand up and he said, look. I'm available for selection. And just on the other names that you mentioned, uh, again, it's um, I'll have to feel for Keegan Hipgrave because in any other season, he probably is a walk-up start in the starting. Yeah. yeah, he's been very good for the Eels in whatever capacity they've needed to use him. And like you said, at another club, 
there's a great chance not only is he in NRL, but he's not on the bench, he's starting. Yes, yes. So um, at the moment, he's the good luck charm. I'm probably being quite impressed with uh, Rodwell. I think yeah, he's uh, late, been very solid every week. I mean, late, uh, early season, not preseason, early season pickup from the Eels, I think by way of the West Tigers. Uh, comes to us with a bit of a, a pedigree in the junior representative scene. I think he's made some uh, recent New South Wales teams. He's been great for the Eels as a lock forward or a prop. Yeah, and he looks like a player where he's playing in a grade that's below his capabilities. He's doing enough to say, look, I'm doing this on my ear almost. Uh, Maybe that's the wrong way to explain it, but it it just looks like um, he's got more in him that he can give. He's, he's going exceptionally well. Looks like he's possibly got another level to him. And I wouldn't have um, an issue if, well, let's say we end up with a, a bunch of players that are selected for origin. I don't think we will be, but if we were... But in a scenario where Junior, Reg, Brownie, Madison, all of them are, are in, the, yeah. in the team one way or another, as, as unlikely as it is, he's a guy that could come in and, and plug a gap. Yeah, absolutely. I'd have no troubles if he was uh, elevated. I wouldn't go, oh, no, they're having to use him. It, it'd, be, it'd be, yep, okay, let's see what he can produce. So, And the thing is... We know that they can elevate Keegan Hipgrave, and he's gonna he's gonna do uh, what we need him to do, and that he he's he he will do it in a quality way. It's when you start to get to uh, some of the other players that haven't had a taste of NRL for the Eels that you have a bit of a question mark. But I have less of a question mark. When it comes to him, I think he, I think he'd step up to the mark. And it continues the Eels' trend of finding some great bargain bin pickups. Um, you know, obviously everyone's raving about Desire Papali'i for good reason. The guy has been the buy of the season, but you know it helps in reserve grade too when you're finding guys like Kai Rodwell to come in and not just you know be a guy, but be a, a very high level starter. So well done to the recruitment staff there. I'm um, obviously finding some great pickups throughout the course of the season. We're talking Hayes Perham, we're talking Kai, obviously talking Wiramu Greg. I'm um, doing a tremendous job keeping the Eels on top. Uh, one one funny bit of uh, business coming out of this game was the send off of Tata Monga. Uh, so people will notice on the, uh, the the game sheet when they look at that that he got sent off late in the piece. Uh, and I believe we we ended up figuring out that it was for repeated run ins with the touch judge uh, that culminated in a final uh, incident where he uh, gave him a gobful for a, a last call pass uh, forward forward pass call uh, when the the Rabbitohs were trying to you know gun down that significant uh, deficit. That would have been a, otherwise been a try, but I thought it was a forward pass. And then the officials came together, and he was just sent. Not ten minutes, he was sent. Yeah, I think they'd had enough of him. He'd had enough warnings through the game, and that's basically from what we were able to find out. It was, um, yeah, he was he'd been guilty of it a few times through the game. Would have a little apology after um, after letting them know what he thought of their calls. But, um, yeah, you can only do it so many times. Yeah. They, there's a, there's enough. enough rope before you end up getting in a bit of trouble. So, uh, yeah, Eels 38-20 the 20 victors uh, improves their record to three wins, two losses, and the round one bye from their uh, five starts. They are trailing the Penrith Panthers, who are undefeated, and the Magpies, who knocked them off a couple of weeks ago. Magpies, five wins, two losses, and no buys. They're in fourth place. Uh, 
with a, a big pack of teams on free wins. Uh, the Bears have free wins, one draw. Raiders, Mounties, who they play this week. Newcastle, uh, all on free wins. So they're doing well. Um, and like we've been saying all along, it's a very fun team to follow. The fact that they're floating above uh, 500 in terms of win rate percentage is really encouraging given how young they are. And you know they've had walk-up guys like Kai Rodwell who weren't there for the preseason, yet they're coming in and doing the job. So... Very fun to follow. I'm looking forward to how they can continue to travel in 2021. Um, and it sets up a, a very interesting clash against the Mounties in round eight, which we'll get to shortly. Yep. So um, uh, the the Mounties team, of course, uh, being the um, – they're now the Bulldogs. Correct. Yeah, the uh, Mounties, formerly affiliated with the Canberra Raiders, now affiliated with the Canterbury Bulldogs. So they swap one C for another. Um, but before we get there into the previews, there's actually a bit of breaking news to the Parramatta Eels uh, with uh, the allegation that's been floating around for the last week or so about a player involved in a, a compromised position in terms of a, a, a video going around. Uh, the NRL Integrity Unit has issued a Parramatta Eels player with a breach notice alleging that he brought the game to disrepute after a video emerged from participating in an intimate act in a public venue. The notice proposes that the player will be fined $5,000. Uh, all players are public figures and have a responsibility to ensure their actions do not risk damaging the brand and reputation of the game. In this circumstance, the NRL believes the player failed in that responsibility. However, the NRL accepts that the player is also an alleged victim of an illegally filmed video and is offering both welfare support and assistance if he wishes to pursue criminal action against said individual who filmed the video. The NRL has determined the player did not breach any other NRL rules, nor is there any complaint about the conduct of the player. Uh, said player has five days to respond to the NRL breach notice. So uh, when all is said and done, it looks like a $5,000 fine will be issued to the player who is still unnamed in an official capacity. So uh, we will respect that. I know that uh, if you are you know, having a poke around the traps on social media, you can uh, figure out who it is. But like I said, there is a process. And at TCT, we do like respect both the NRL, the Paramount Reels, and all the players involved. So as long as he's unnamed, he will stay unnamed with us. Yeah, and uh, I don't know about you, but look, I can... Uh from the outside looking in, I can live with that. Um, I mean, uh, a 5K fine is definitely hard in the hip pocket. Um, and, you know, maybe you can argue it is unfair. But the, the it's more the fact that, you know, there's been so many players doing silly stuff that you're a victim of the collective. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, and I think maybe it's going to be a learning process for the uh, for the player involved when you if you can come out of something like this and it's just been a bit of a dent to the hip pocket rather than to anything more significant then um it's it's probably a reasonable outcome and as i said yeah learning learning experience and, and i, I um, think i think the big thing and whoever it is would be honestly be thankful that they didn't hurt the team the fact that yeah. there was no suspension they're not stood down uh, pending the investigation you know, the no-fault stand-down stuff that the NRL was introduced, uh, they'd be very thankful for that, and perhaps it'll help them, not like they were, in, you know, <laughs> uh, it'll help them stay focused and perhaps even refocused to a higher level uh, in pursuit of, you know, uh, a great finish this year. Yeah, yeah, well All righty, so uh, let's quickly breeze through some of the previews. Um, we mentioned that, the, sorry, we mentioned, we already covered the Harold Matthews grand final preview, so let's just jump straight into the Jersey flick. Uh, it's basically three grades of uh, football against the Bulldogs. That's right, just across two days. It's not an actual triple header out at Stadium Australia. Um, the coverage or oh, the action starts on Saturday at 3.15pm in the Jersey flag, 
which is at Stadium Australia, formerly ANZ Stadium, but I'm, I'm getting much better at calling its correct name now, so very proud of myself. <laughs> uh, well done, mate. Well done. <laughs> the Parramatta Eels travelling to take on the Canterbury Bulldogs. Uh, the Eels coming off that fantastic last start against the South Sydney Rabbitohs. The Dogs uh, just ahead of them on the ladder. It is 5v6 with the three-win, one-draw Dogs taking on the two-win, three-loss Parramatta Eels uh, for Parramatta. Now, I've got to make sure I get this right because the New South Wales Rugby League lineup is not the correct lineup. They've got a different one to the Eels. So I'm going to go on the comeonthrow.com and get the, the old teamless Tuesday sheet up. Eels line up like this with Tavita Massima at fullback, uh, Solomoni Naiduki and Fruin Easthope on the wings, Jabril Kalachi and Jaden Skinner in the centres. Clayton Falolo is at 5'8 alongside Kyle Schneider at halfback. I do wonder if they will do a pregame swap between Massima and Falolo, so stay tuned for that. You've got a front row of Dave Hollis, Jaden Yates at hooker, Jack Colavati as the other bookend, back row of Oliver Clements, Peter Tateo, uh, Caleb Toey, who returns from concussion protocol. On the bench, Ethan LeBlanc, Jonte Jr., Bethan Mesa, Lennox Whitaker, and Larry Mwaga Tateo, who makes his Jersey flag debut and continues that trend of SG ball talent taking over. Yep, it's. Uh, I think for those that are out at Stadium Australia, it'll be. Uh, they should note down all those that are the SG ball players. And, um, yeah, look forward to watching them because they're all uh, players that have got uh, potentially um, three years in that grade. But you'd like to think if they're playing it as elevated from the SG ball that um, they're – and when I say three years, I'm talking about three years including this year. Yes. Um, they're, they're obviously uh, players that are thought quite highly of within the club. And, um, yeah, it'd be good to start tracking some of those uh, young players. Oh, I can definitely tell you the two back rowers, Tatio and Toei, are, are definitely two to jot down. Um, probably not as tall as some of the um, prototypical modern forwards, but very damaging ball runners. And we've seen in recent times that you don't have to be a giant anymore. David Fafita is setting the NRL light, and he's only mid-180s. So uh, those two very good players alongside Big Jonte Jr., who's another really solid prop forward. So, uh, yeah, jot them all down. And, and if you can get out there for this game, watch it because it's very fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that takes us to the Sunday game now, which is out at Hinchinbrook, uh, Aubrey Keach Reserve, right next to Mounties, if I'm not mistaken. And this sees the fourth-place Parramatta Eels. Uh, if I just get my ladder up quickly, take on the, is it the fifth or sixth-place Dogs? Uh, Mounties, the sixth-place Mounties. So another uh, top-six clash for the Parramatta Eels. I've had a few of them at the start of the year. Uh, taking on the Raiders, the Mounties now, and uh, the Magpies before them. So keeping them on their toes. And they look like this in reserve grade uh, with uh, Hayes Perham officially named the fullback for the first time this year despite playing there last week. On the wings, you've got Sean Russell and Toa Mata'afa. Uh, Will Penasini and Michael Olford are in the centres. The two Jays are in the halves. Jordan Rankin at 5'8", and Jacob Arthur at halfback. Kai Rodwell starts at number eight, uh, prop forward, alongside Wiramu Gregg, who drops down from the NRL. Joey Lusick is the hooker. In the back row, you've got Ellie Elzakaham, Keegan Hipgrave on the edges with Makahesi Makatoa playing lock forward. The bench looks like this with Nathaniel Roach as a utility dummy half with Kurt Dillon, Sharbel Tassapali, and Atasi James rounding out the interchange slots. Uh, the Canterbury Bulldogs team, if I just quickly pull it up here, features a fair few NRL players, as is want to do in this grade. Um, I think Kieran Moss one time went with Phil Magpie when they were all lined at the Paramount Reels at fullback. Watson Haleta, who was with the Eels last year, on the wing. Uh, you got Aaron Shoup, who was a highly touted prospect out of the Illawarra Steelers that the Dogs pinched a couple of years ago. Um, obviously, Biden, his time in reserve grade. Uh, Lachlan Lewis. Reese Davies, another former Eel there. Um, Offahiki Ogden's played a bit of NRL for the Dogs. Dean Britt's played a little bit of NRL. Dean Madison, younger brother of Ryan Madison. 
Uh, and I think that's about it in terms of uh, nameable names. But yeah, a bit of a bit of NRL talent there, a bit of good young prospects there for the dogs. It'll be a good clash room out at Hinchinbrook. Yeah, and again, when we're talking about the Eels team, we're talking about um, that youth that's within the team. Um, I, I, look, I like any contest where they're up against players that have got some NRL experience because that's what you want for these young blokes. You want them to be learning. And they're not going to learn against uh, teams that are or players that um, are, are either not climbing like them or um, haven't got some talent or ability. So I'm quite happy for them to be playing against players that have got that uh, NRL-level experience. And I suppose the uh, the eye-catching matchup here will be whether Will Penasini matches up against Aaron Shute because Penasini's murderer's role of reserve-grade centres continued last week of Tautau Monga. And I do wonder if Shute winds up on the left edge because Penasini plays right for Parramatta, right? Yeah, yeah, he is so, on the right. Yep. Yeah, but I, I, I want to say that when he was playing for the Steelers, Shoop was on the right, but that's a few years back now, and that was in junior rep, so I, I don't recall correctly. But yeah, definitely something to watch there. Um, unfortunately, there is no official coverage of this game. It's out at Hinchinbrook or Rakit Reserve. I will try to get out there. If I don't, I believe that Ham Samich, a good mate of ours, will be out there to give us at least updates. So uh, stay, uh, stay tuned one way or another. Yes, uh, the Cumberland Throw, if it's not us directly, it'll be friends of the throw that are out there and able to provide a bit of feedback for us. And naturally, all our attention will be focused on the main event, which takes place at 5.30pm on Saturday out at Stadium Australia. The Canterbury Bulldogs will be hosting our Parramatta Eels. Canterbury coming off their first win of the season against the Cronulla Sharks. They did that on uh, Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that was when we're coming back from the uh, New South Wales Cup result. We're actually getting that second half on the radio um, and uh, taking on the Eels in what will be undoubtedly a very gritty and tough affair if recent records anything to go on. For the Dogs, they look like this with Nick Meany at fullback. Nick Kotrich and Tuopolotu Katoa on the wings. Will Hopawati is captain of the team this week, and he'll be in the centres alongside Corey Allen. Uh, in the halves, Jake Avarillo and Kyle Flanagan. Front row, Dylan Napa, Sione Katoa and Luke Thompson. Back row, Adam Elliott, Chris Smith and Corey Waddell. On the bench, Bradley Dietz, Renoff Atoni, Ava Suomana-Fungai and Matt Dury. A few ex-eels or junior eels there. And on the extended bench, Brandon Wakeham, Joe Stimson, Dallin Latine Zalesniak as he recovers from a knee infection, and Offahiki Ogden, Trent Barrett is the coach. For the Eels, a handful of changes this week, one of which was expected, one of which probably wasn't. Uh, captain of the team from fullback, as always, is Quinton Gufferson. Unchanged backline of Mike Sivo and Blake Ferguson on the flanks with Tom Opacic and Murata Niakore in the centres. Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses will be the starting halves. In the front row, you've got Regan Campbell-Gillard, Reed Marnie and Junior Paulo. Back row is unchanged this week. Sean Lane, Isaiah Papali'i, and Nathan Brown. I say unchanged. Technically, it's Papali'i's first official start. Uh, Ryan Madison has been named every week and then dropped out. But he's back this week. and He's on the bench with Oregon Kafusi, uh, Ryan Madison in the 15. Hayes Dunster takes over from Will Smith in the 16 and Bryce Cartwright in the number 17. The extended bench for Parramatta is Joey Lusick, Keegan Hipgrave, Wiramu Gregg, and Jordan Rankin. Brad Arthur is the coach. So two changes there for Parramatta 60s. Obviously, Ryan Madison coming back in after getting through his, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, fitness test in the New South Wales Cup. But Hayes Dunster, the surprise inclusion, who's going to be the emergency utility, it looks like, on the bench for the Eels this week. Yeah, that's really come from left field, uh, from my perspective anyway. So uh, 
it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, and I, I know that there's other scenarios that Hayes could be included in the team. You could talk about, like last week with the the sort of brief drama about Will Penasini's potential debut due to the clerical error, you know, talking about a pregame swap with Murata near Kore. You could do the same thing with Hayes, I suppose. Murata goes to the bench, Ferguson goes to the centre, Hayes goes to the wing. It's a bit convoluted. Alternatively, maybe either Ferguson or Mike Acevo are a little bit banged up from the trip to the top end, and it's a bit of insurance there to be able to swap them out prior to kickoff and then uh, reshuffle your bench. But I think most likely, you look at Occam's Razor and and you go for the, the most likely solution being the most probable. And in that case, I think he's just emergency cover on the bench. So if the Eels are blowing out the dogs, he can come on for 20, 25 minutes and replace either Sevo Ferguson and give him an early shower. Or if something goes wrong, he's there to make a change in the back line and allow you to you know move the likes of Murata Niakore or Ryan Madison around, those flexible pieces you have in the team, and uh, facilitate the sort of change you need to to cover whatever injury. There seems to be a little bit of a trend starting with NRL coaches putting backs yeah. on the bench. It's so, been it's been trending that, upwards for a few years. I mean, I remember back when Tim Sheens used to do it, it was a bit of a joke back in the day. People were like, oh, why are you doing that? And now as attrition takes place at a greater rate, given the, the speed of the game has gone up and the, the time that the ball was in play has gone up, uh, having that sort of cover on the bench is far from a hindrance in uh, any given clash, it feels like. It feels like, too, that um, the the uh, protocols around HIA are rubbing people out uh, quicker than ever before. Yeah. Um, and now I'm, I'm, I've covered that a little bit in one of the Bumpers Up uh, issues, and someone uh, there was a, a very good article that was put out. Um, I'm just trying to think whether it was from... Uh, Pythagorean or was it from no it wouldn't have been Pythagorean it was uh, I think it was uh, uh, Mr Oliver from um, uh, yeah 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 former NRL.com uh, contributor uh, yeah yeah so it, he had a very good article about the um, uh, the HIA and the impact of the HIA I believe it was him uh, but there was more that was um, uh, occurring in uh, the last uh, 12 months than ever before, and it's. I think there was a. Um, there may have been some change around the the way that the test was administered, but it's. It seems like there are actually well, there are actually more players failing it. Definitely than ever before, and as a result of that, if you've got a someone that's in the backs and they've taken a knock to the head, you, you can almost guarantee that as soon as that knock to the head's happened and the player's going off the field. It's like there's a seventy percent chance they're not coming back on. That, that's it, the, literally the, what it feels like. It used to be that it was like a ten percent chance that or less they'd be pulled out, and now the the ratio swung around completely. Whether it's updated tests, because I think it used to be a scat three, and I don't know if they're using a different uh, protocol for testing now. Uh, but whatever the cognitive test is, it seems to be failing players far more often than it used to. Um, which we've spoken about at length. We are very appreciative that NRL clubs are taking concussions seriously. Uh, but yeah, it's led to this really weird moment for the NRL where uh, there's almost more pressure being put on the other players in a game because of the, the increased amount of players failing concussions, which led the, to the mid-season changes to the 18th man. So yeah, um, you know, obviously Ryan Madison for the Eels is probably the, the poster boy, unfortunately, in that regard. But he is back this week after taking a very long stint out. Uh, obviously injured in round two 
from a cheap shot from Felice Cafusi back in round eight. Don't uh, start me. Yeah, well, we don't want to. We don't want to open up that can of worms too. Uh, uh, yeah, well, let's not go there. I, <laughs> I sort of trip over my words because you got got some. <laughs> oh, mate, you know, like I think we we we've, we've really outdone ourselves on the length of this podcast, but we could go on for an extra half hour once we start throwing in Felice Cafusi, the the lack of uh, on field action with him into what's going on now with the on field action for tackles that look just like, well, I, I don't know about you, mate, but I don't know how Josh Curran ended up on in the well, that, for, that That's what blows your mind is that Josh Curran does what his coach would have wanted. Fantastic kick chase, shoulder-to-shoulder contact. There is, you know, a whiplash between the two players in terms of the head contact. And not only is it time off, it gets reviewed and the bunker managed to somehow see, I don't even know, if, I don't even know there was a millimeter of shoulder-to-shoulder of shoulder-to-head contact. And so he's out for 10 minutes. Um, Melbourne were probably going to win the game regardless, but they go on and score two or three tries in that period and completely blow out the Warriors uh, and give them no shot of coming back. And then it goes to the, the, the grading, and he gets a grade two charge. And he, he has to oh. contest it unless he wants to spend weeks out in the sideline. And to his, uh, to his team's credit and to his lawyer's credit, they did a good job of fighting it, getting it down to a fine. They shouldn't have even been a grade one. There should have been no charge. No, it's this isn't in the same category as as the debate that's been going on about shoulder charge versus no shoulder charge with some of those other tackles or, yeah, um, or, uh, or ones that should have resulted ta- in extra long suspension. Talakai against the Dogs got another, uh, Josh Curran, a, a former Eels prospect. Talakai against the Dogs got another former Eels prospect who's playing this week, Matt Dury, with a with an absolute wowzer of shoulder charge, and he got four weeks. That was missed on the field. I just, yeah. ugh. Anyway, yeah, yeah. As, uh, as I said, we could we could go on we could go on forever. The judiciary is. is... It, it, it's just it does seem that there is quite an irony that um, once this crackdowns happened, that men of Melbourne have been the beneficiary of players <laughs> being put to the. Bin. Now that's that's not that's not in any way me saying Melbourne are being favoured here. I'm just saying I I just knew that when the crackdown happened that it, the world would be a strange place yeah. and that and that the the club that perhaps in, instigated this this need for a crackdown would end up having games where they get opposition players put to the bin for tackles uh, put on the onto their players but yeah how on earth Curran ended up with uh, any charge whatsoever let alone it makes it makes you upset as a neutral it, it just it ruins the product anyway Judiciary yeah. is now in the barrels of the press for that reason. Uh, I know NRL 360's taken the task a number of times alongside other print publications, well, not other, but alongside print publications like the Daily Telegraph and the City Morning Herald. But yeah, that, that's a, maybe another podcast topic for another day. Looking at this dog's outfit, mate, um, you don't want to be arrogant, but you don't want to also try and pump them up when you know the it shouldn't be pumped up. They're, they're pretty ragtag across the park. Obviously, there's guys like Nick Kotrick that are great players still, but... You had that nagging feeling they'll find a way to drag us down to their level. But the flip side of that is that, you know, we hadn't won a game in Canberra in 15 years. We hadn't won a big uh, a big victory in Darwin. Is this Eels team the sort of lineup that's going to continue to defy the expectations of recent history? If we play to the same formula that we've played the last couple of weeks, you'd have to think that we secure the victory and we secure it quite well. The thing about the Bulldogs is... I completely wipe off their win last week. 
means nothing to me. It means it should mean nothing to the Parramatta players that the Bulldogs had a win. Because to be honest, when you're watching that game, it was a damn ordinary game of football. I don't think their form increased in any way, shape or form. I thought the Sharks were awful. I thought the Sharks bombed try after try. And um, so as far as I was concerned, it, was, it wasn't a great win for, by the Bulldogs. It wasn't like a, a defining moment where they can turn their fortunes around a little bit. Now, that said, where I respect the Bulldogs and where I say that that game last week doesn't matter, it's not going to change how they play the game of football against the Eels. They just have this knack, and it hasn't mattered who the coach is, nope. of, of getting the Eels off their own game. So they just put, they put Para off our game, and um, it, 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 that loss, the one that really, really got to me was the loss at Bankwest Stadium on that Thursday night and you could just see the niggle, <laughs> the grinding, the everything that was being done to um, to get us to forget about our own game plan. And it was exemplified by Nathan Brown losing the plot and yep. um, and 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 getting himself into trouble in that game. And that's the sort of thing that I expect from the Bulldogs. I expect them to be uh, spoilers and. For, for as far as I'm concerned, if we don't get dragged into that, if we are patient, if we play what I would now call the Parramatta brand of football, which is um, that that good game management, patience, win the middle, kick to corners, good kick chase, pile on the pressure, the points start to come later in the game. If we do that, I, I think we get a, a comfortable win. But... As again, I'll say it, they just have the Bulldogs have this propensity to drag us into the sort of match that we don't want to have. So I give respect to the Bulldogs, not on their form, not on them having a win, but on their past history with the Eels. Yeah, I mean, the Eels have been dominant in terms of the outright results across the last 10 encounters. They've won eight of them, but of those eight wins, only three have been by double digits. Uh, I think we had a 20, 20 to 6 win in March of 2016. We had a 20 to 4 win in August of 2017. And then we had a 36 to 16 win in March of 2019. Everything else has been by single digits. So, Canterbury. And ugly. And ugly. <laughs> yes, it's like you can have great contests in the single digit like wins. Like you look at our result over the Melbourne Storm 14 to 12 in torrid conditions. Incredible game of football. But no, against the dogs have been rougher. <laughs> second, rate, uh, second rate quality from both teams. But it's, you know, credit to the dogs being able to drag the eels down to that level of play. And it's like, you know, a, a pig wallowing in filth, right? They're, they're so, yeah, that, so natural at it. Yeah, that's why I said to you, the, the result last week means nothing to me. I mean, I'm talking about the Bulldogs' result because I don't think they showed me anything different to what they've shown mm. in all of their matches up to this point in time. They had an opposition which stumbled and bumbled over their own feet all through the game. Wow. Found ways to not score tries. Um, let the Bulldogs score <laughs> the, the most innocuous. <laughs> the the you Sharks. You don't want to boot him, but they look like a, a team that just sacked a pretty competent coach. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, that's that. That is it exactly. I mean, I tipped the Sharks for the spoon at the start of the year, not based on their talent, not based on what they could produce as a team. 
but based on the fact that I knew they were going to stuff up their coaching. The white answering from the board and whatnot, yeah. Yep, yep, and that that was going to derail them. And uh, I just thought it was going to play out in the background and be a distraction. But no, they jumped in good and early. <laughs> and um, yeah, they're, they're highly competitive team that probably deserve to be a little bit higher up the table in their early games. Man, um, I think they'll be doing well to, to get above the bottom four on the table. Not wrong. So 5.30 p.m. kickoff. Eels six and one coming into this round. Dogs one and six. The polar opposites. It's two v sixteen on the ladder. How are you seeing this one, mate? How are you going to call it? Who's the first try scorer? What's the margin? The Eels going to keep breaking the shackles like they have for the last couple of weeks and post a big score, or is it going to be uh, truer to more recent form between the two clubs? Oh man, I I don't know whether I want to whether I think this is going to play out like the ugly games that have in the past. If if I was to go on um, ugly pass performances, I say the Eels win 14-12, mm-hmm. something like that. I, I think I've got a bit more faith, however. And I'm going to say that if we play the type of football, the game plan that we've had and that players stick to it for the last few weeks, that we win 36-10. to 10. I think that's the actual margin I tipped in the para podcast, the other casual podcast I do with the boys. And I, I said that on the caveat that, yeah, I can see this one being an ugly contest because, um, you know, when there's enough recent form like that, you have to respect it. But by the same token, I think the Eels have been showing that they can go above and beyond the sort of uh, uh, levels that they've set themselves in recent years. And they've been doing that for the most part this year, barring one laps against the Dragons. Um, taking care of business in, in big-time fashion against the Raiders in the Storm, um, had a big win against the Bro- the Broncos up in the Tropics, and now I'm looking for them to repeat that this week with, I think I went 36-10, or 30, yeah, I think I went 36-10, so I'm, I'm going to leapfrog on what you said with the same margin, uh, 36-10 for the Parramatta Eels, and I think I went uh, Reg and Campbell Gillard for first try scorer with a nice little pass from Reed Marnie from short range. But yeah. I'm going to, I think I'll go... Um, to Tom Opachik. Oh yeah, going down the left edge to the uh, Mister Fixit down there, who's been really good yep. for the Eels. Um, and you know, I think he got a, It's both a backhanded compliment and a comp, like just an outright compliment, same, same measure. But on the broadcast, they called him, you know, one of Paramedal's uh, reclamation projects. And Tom's been fantastic for us, so really happy to see him doing well. Got a great combination of Mike Acevo, uh working really good with Mitchell Moses down that edge too. So yeah, wouldn't be uh, upset to see Tommy Boy get on the board first. That's for sure. Yeah, so um, it's let's just say that this is one of those games that um, oh, look. I think games like this make as much of a statement about where we're at as the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yep, because, because it, when you're talking about a traditional rival that always has that spoiling game that we have struggled with in the past, if if we stick to what works for the Eels in the sort of football that we play, and uh, then, look, people people might, if we get a, a, a good win, as in a, a sizable win, the pundits are probably going to say, well, look, it was only the dogs and everyone else has been beating the dogs, blah, 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 right? As far as I'm concerned, it's if the Eels can get a big win in this one 
then it says plenty about the change in the club, the change in the way that the team... Oh, I shouldn't say the club. The change in the way that the, what the team's attitude is in matches um, to previous seasons because... Uh, even last year, in a, in a good season, it was it was a damn ordinary game that we played against the, yep. the Bulldogs. So, yeah, and it'd be uh, another validation of the team continuing to break the, some of the mental hurdles that they've struggled struggled with in the past, like beating the Melbourne Storm in a you know a head to head match with all the like for the for both teams most of their players fit. I know that the Melbourne Storm were missing Harry Grant and uh, Finucan, but likewise the Eels obviously without the services of Wonga Blake. And then uh, losing Ryan Madison through aforementioned foul play, but yeah, they've been they've been getting over those bumps and beating the Dogs by a good margin this week is another one of those bumps. Like you said, it's a spoiler game. It's a game that they've played down to the opposition in for quite some time. This is a chance to separate themselves from the Eels of the past, from themselves of the past, because it's the same team for the last couple of years, and and continue to surge ahead in the chase to you know break the title drought. Yeah. Yep. So. Mate, I'm looking forward to the game, and um, yeah, bring it on. Bring it on. Um, thanks, for everyone, for sticking in for a bumper episode. The uh, extra talk about the Harold Matthews Grand Final did lead to us blowing up in time a little bit, but I do hope you enjoyed it because the, the ride for the Harold Matthews for us this year has been fantastic. Um, a great team, really fun to follow. Uh, like we said, such a well-drilled and professional outfit for their age. Taking on a, a team with like a handful of serious stars makes for a great clash in styles. Um, get all that coverage on TCT or New South Wales Rugby League, T- New South Wales Rugby League TV, sorry. Um, and yeah, and, and come by next week for the uh, the aftermath for the post mortem, where we hopefully have secured another uh, championship. Mate, enjoyed this uh, chat again. Hope you're, hopefully everyone else enjoyed it too. And uh, we'll uh, we'll speak to everyone again next week. See you guys on the other side.